Hello, everybody, and welcome to all. And my name is Lil Seth Game, and I'm the Neo Geo Pocket Eric Selection. Hey, hey, Seth, you like my new winter jacket? <laughs> Eric, why, why in the world is it so cold in here? What do you have the temperature set to? Twenty-seven? Why do you have it literally freezing in the HQ? I guess it is fitting, though. It matches the coldness of my heart after another week disappeared in 2022 without Goldeneye coming to NSO. At least we have a few other cheery things to talk about in this week's news roundup, though. Well, I mean, with, with winter starting next week, and since snow isn't really a thing where we live, I thought you might appreciate it. In fact, we're getting even more in the winter spirit this week with the top five when we count down the best winter-themed games in Nintendo history. Well, I appreciate the attempt, I mean, despite what it's going to do to our air conditioning bill this month, but oh, since we live in warmer climates, I figured we could just lean into it and hit the waves this weekend. In fact, Thunderful just released the perfect game to do that with. This week in the Indie Showcase, we're talking Wavetail. I guess since RAC wouldn't be strong enough to work for the entire county... All right, fine. But since we're going nautical, how about we not just go all in? How about we double down? You know, man, The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker is celebrating its 20th anniversary this week, and a legendary game deserves a legendary treatment. Today, how about we give this GameCube classic a full all-in retrospective. Yeah, sounds good. Lo love that. Sounds great. But dude, I'm not doing this whole show with icicles in my beard. You might be warm with your jackets, but please turn up the temperature while I turn up the intro. Folks, it's time to go all in. Right, everybody, your boy Seth here, here with my wonderful co-host Eric, uh, bringing another episode of All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly also Nintendo Variety Show. Yeah, also your boy, we're both your boys <laughs> here, bringing you another episode of All In a Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo Variety Show, where no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. Happy and thankful to be bringing you another episode of this podcast, man. Uh, you know, we've been staying really busy. We've been on our grind, especially here leading up to the Golden Aces. Um, and look guys, again, I'm not going to shut up about the golden aces. You're going to get so sick of hearing me talk about it, but it's happening right here, uh, on youtube.com slash all in podcast live on Wednesday, January 4th at this time that we're live right now, 5 PM Pacific, 8 PM Eastern. And it's going to be a can't miss show in the new year. Great way to kick off the new year with some exciting announcements from mm -hmm. us as well. To mm -hmm. kick it off. That's a stream you're not going to want to miss. We're doing that live on YouTube, just like we're live on YouTube right now. So hi, shout outs to everybody watching us on YouTube. Um, <laughs> Sam, if it's your first time, welcome. Yeah, if it's your first time, welcome. And, and Sam, our buddy Third Strongest Moles in here saying, psh, Goaty 30 is where the real party is at. Sam, of course, the host of, uh, or one of the hosts of the Retrologic podcast, where they did their own uh, Game of the Year episode. So... I look forward yeah, to that. Everybody's, from 1992. That's right. Everybody's doing their game of the year stuff, but uh, we we wait for the whole year to play out. They waited for the whole 30 years to play out before they did theirs. So you know they they really they really did leave no no stone unturned. I, 
Hindsight is 30-30. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight is always 30-30. But speaking of Sam, Sam is one of our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash Podcast. So we would love to thank Sam and the other amazing people that support us over there and make the dreams come true. Uh, our Golden Banana Bunch and our Triforce tier patrons. So let's start off with the Golden Banana Bunch, as we like to do here at the beginning of the show. Uh, starting with our good friend Dan Caparello, also of the Retrologic Podcast, Rob mm-hmm. Yapel, Sam, third strongest mole, as we just mentioned. Sean He's my of year 30. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Sean, Sean O'Baggins, Ashton, Tim A, a.k.a. Neoprime33, a.k.a. Nintendo Dad number four, Matt, Shy Guy City Murray, Drew Agnew, the handsome host of the handsome, uh, the handsome host of the handsome Mario podcast, I guess. The House Drew, of Mario you got, podcast. You got a new name for your show, Drew. Yeah, just go ahead and change it. <laughs> Why not? You've been doing it for so the long. The Handsome Mario it. podcast. That's right. That he is should. actually a good name. It's, he should do it. He's a handsome dude. Uh, Phelan Ward, the also handsome host of the Damage Counter Pokemon Trading Card Game podcast. Good luck, Bill Phelan. Tucker. Yeah, hey, Phelan. Um, and he's he's doing, a, I think, a tournament this weekend. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, good good luck to Phelan. Bill Tucker, the host of A Gamer Looks at 40, a great friend and supporter of this show. Check out A Gamer Looks at 40. And another great personal friend of mine, Marcus O'Neill, who I'm going to be hanging out with tomorrow morning in the Backtrackers in the Carpool Gaming community. We'd love to see you guys over there at some point. Uh, but let's move on to our Triforce tier supporters. <laughs> Starting with Josh Vaughn, longtime friend and supporter and godfather of Tingle Love Tuesday. Uh, at least somebody loves Tingle over uh-huh. here. I love Tingle. You got a Tingle lover in me, my friend. Uh, John Cummins, the third and final co-host of the Retrologic podcast and host of On Topic Retro, the globe-trotting, jet-setting Nintendo hub and Sparky over at the Nintendo Hub here on YouTube. Uh, we love you, Sparky. Adam Caparello, uh, a.k.a. Octorock1982, has got his own YouTube channel here, Octorock1982, as well as the co-host of the Retro Groove podcast, who just released a new episode that I am so excited about. They're breaking down the music of A Muppet Christmas Carol. And oh, I am really? so excited. They it just released like right before we went live tonight, and I nice. immediately downloaded it the second it hit my feed. So I'm so excited for that. It's gonna be Adam, his co-host Liam, and actually our friend Tim that we just shouted out from the Nintendo Dads. Nice. All talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. Muppet Christmas um, Carol is the goat of Christmas it's the, movies. I mean, it's the goat. It's the goat. Uh, Shy Guy, who is the, you know, one half with Matt Shy Guy City Murray, the other half of the Shy Guy Mod Squad. Actually, Love. normally I shout them out both because they're both at the Golden Banana tier. Shy Guy bumped up. He's in the Triforce yeah. tier now. Shy Guy has leveled up. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, he, he's made it to the Triforce tier, and we super, super appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much, Shy Guy, for uh, choosing to, I mean, support us even further than you already were. Um, it means the world to us, especially here, like in the holidays. It's like, you know, I understand how it is. You know, money can be tight for people in this time of year. So to, to not only already support us, but then say, hey, I want to support you even more than I already was. It just means more than we can say. Um, but so thanks again, shy guy for that. And then of course the it legend drives us. himself. Yeah. It drives us the legend himself, sir. Um, that would be uncle Randy, sir. Uncle Randy. Thank you. Uncle Randy. We love you very much. Uncle Randy. Hope you're doing well out there. I haven't talked to uncle Randy since his birthday 
And uh, oh, really, yeah, I, I need to need to say hi to Uncle Randy. I miss Uncle Randy. But thank you all, all those people that support us on patreon.com slash all in podcast. And uh, again, that's a great way to uh, to show monetary support, throw a couple bones our way and make the dreams come true. Keep the lights on over here at all in HQ, uh, you know, keep the thermostat running. <laughs> as as it were uh but there is a free way to support us and somebody did that just this past week by dropping some words uh over on apple podcasts eric we want to give a huge thanks to j88 fitness on itunes who leaves us a five-star review and says an excellent weekly nintendo podcast filled with news rankings and discussion Eric and Seth have created a great weekly Nintendo podcast and community. They make a multi-hour podcast every week. Don't I know it? Um, <laughs> they talk we about feel what, that. Oh yeah, we feel that. Um, they talk about what they're playing, the the latest news, do a weekly top five, and often talk to developers on the podcast. It is definitely a weekly listen for me, and comes with my highest recommendation. Give it a listen, and it's the only Nintendo podcast that you will need. There you go. Bravo. Thank you very much for that. J88 fitness. Shout out to J J88 fitness who, um, has been, uh, making content on YouTube for a little while. I became aware of, uh, of J88 fitness a little while ago and watched some of his YouTube videos. And he is like, so charming, man. Like he's got this really charming personality produces like top five videos and things like that um on here on youtube so definitely check out his youtube channel also j88 fitness uh thank you very much for your support my friend um yeah but with all that being said eric i do have a couple of other things i wanted to shout out really quickly um Mm -hmm. before before i ask you the age-old question of what you've been up to this week uh, a couple of little matters of housekeeping so uh voting for the next episode of keep nintendo weird is closed it just wrapped up today our golden banana and triforce tier patrons had the opportunity to vote on the final KNW of the year, we of course just released one with my co-host here. Uh, we released one with him uh, on Pushmo, and that was great. Yeah, yeah, we pushmoed that one out the door. Yeah, we pushmoed that one out the door, and um, and that was great. And uh, and everybody seems to have enjoyed that. But uh, the next one is going to be the well, final one of the of year. They did. Of course they did. Of course they did. And the winner of that vote was Rusty's Real Deal baseball (laughs) noise so that is going to be happening before the end of the year and uh look forward to that uh also something that's going to be happening tomorrow if you're watching us live right now slash today if you're listening to the podcast slash in the past if you're listening to it later on in the week i guess uh on saturday in the timeline (laughs) at at some point in time we either are streaming or will be streaming a co-op playthrough of it takes two here on the youtube channel or did stream will happen, happening, happened, you know, that whole thing. Yes. Um, but let's quit so. trying to doctor who this explanation. This weekend, <laughs> yeah. as this episode is going live, this Saturday and Sunday, my amazing co-host and I are finally getting the chance to play It Takes Two together. One of the games that we are crunching in preparation for this year's Golden Aces. Seth, I am super excited. I am excited too. I've already... Uh, I've already played that game through twice. This will be my third time playing, and I'm I'm still excited. Yeah, like I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be super I, fun. I finally get to find out why you had that reaction during the commercial at the Game Awards. It was it was one of my favorite games of uh, of last year. So excited mm-hmm. that it's finally out on Switch. Speaking and, of uh, Game Awards, won you. the Game Award for Game of the Year last I year. Did. 
It did. And so we you'll finally get to, find get to out play why. it this weekend. Yeah, man. Can't wait. But with all that out of the way, sir, what's been going on in your world this week? Well, we do have one more piece of housekeeping to get to, Seth. Uh-oh. Uh, I was on something this past week. You were. That's true. I was. I was invited on by our wonderful community member, Presto the Magnificent, to be a part of his podcast, Off the Wah. 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 Unfortunately, we were unable to do a retrospective that we really wanted to do last month because of just the multitude of AAA games all releasing basically on top of each other. Uh, However, I was incredibly... Uh, humbled and incredibly happy to accept the invite to Off the Wall to talk about my personal favorite game of all time, the immaculate Super Mario Galaxy. Uh, that was a Good ton game. of fun. That was a ton of fun. I rapped. You, you know what? You you rapped, and I was impressed. I was actually impressed. You did a good job with your rap, considering that it was like on the spot. It was a freestyle rap. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, that was totally on the spot. <laughs> it was it was the best out of the three by far. You you by far did the best out of the three. I, I will say this, and I love Presto. Presto's great. Uh, and Off the Wah is, I always say, probably the most unique Nintendo podcast that is out there right now. Like, that is just, nobody could make that show but Presto. He has an entire <laughs> segment dedicated to berating his community called The Wrong Rankings. Like, it's, it's it is like I, so good. I did dig um, that. Yeah, um, I will say they they introduce Here's why and, you're incorrect, sir. <laughs> yeah, and they they do uh they do this apparently new segment that they've been they've probably been doing it for a while. I don't get to listen to every episode. Busy guy, Presto, leave me alone. Um, but uh, they do this like music master segment, and I'm listening. Oh to God! It, oh God! And they they basically you know they they each I think brought like what three songs a piece. Yeah. And it was like, hey, guess, basically like guess where this song is from. And, you know, it was pretty like standard stuff. And I, I was, I was tracking. And then you brought out your songs and these, how do we reach these keeds? How do we reach these keeds? <laughs> I'm like, they how do didn't you do know, fellow kids, you know, dude, they, they didn't know. know aquatic ambiance from Donkey Kong Country, which is one of the most iconic video game songs ever composed. I was screaming at them. <laughs> He was legit like, mad. Screaming. The only one that I that I didn't I wouldn't have been able to tell you the names of all of the tracks, but I, I was tracking most of them. And ironically, like the final track that you had in your back pocket was a Mega Man ZX track yep. that I only guessed because I know you. Because I, I I knew that it was a Mega Man track, and I was like, oh, it's probably Mega Man ZX. And sure enough, it was a Mega Man ZX. <laughs> so yeah, Green Music is yeah. Greengrass Gradation is also the song that plays during the initial Mega Man ZX transformation. Yeah, so it's also kind of the main overworld forest theme, but it also plays during the transformation, and it's beautifully synced with that cutscene. That just it good song. really yeah. That that song is one of my favorite tracks in video game history. But music masters, and you don't know aquatic ambiance. Give them, Surely is, you jest. We need to, we need right. to take them. Take them. Here's the wing. Here's the wing. We're going to take them and put them right under it. We're going to take them. Right. You especially. Yeah. You especially. Yeah. Going to have to have me back on Off the Wall Presto. I'll show you who the real music master is, my friend. Oh, jeez. <laughs> 
but no, it was cool. It was cool. I listened to the episode uh, last night while I'm sitting there playing Tunic, and it was it was fun. It was a fun, you know. I, I'm glad you got your your dashboard confessional vindicated moment. <laughs> uh, getting to getting to finally talk about Mario Galaxy. I was happy for you. <laughs> well, give it another five years. We'll have the 20th anniversary of it. That we can do a yeah. retrospective on. Maybe we'll pencil here it in then. Maybe we'll the find a way. <laughs> Maybe, dude. It's in November. Everything <laughs> drops in November. Yeah, we're never going to be able to give that thing. That was so, the problem. That was the yeah. problem. But uh, you know, I didn't just talk about video games. I did play a couple this week, including the one on the TV behind me. Another part of my crunch going into the Golden Aces at the beginning of next year is yeah, a little game that you might be familiar with, Seth, called. Uh, Called Neon White. Have you heard of it, sir? You know, I, I've I've heard of it. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I like it. Pretty good little yes, game. Yes, a, uh, a a a pretty solid indie game of the year candidate uh, from Annapurna Interactive and Donut County developer Ben Esposito. This game genuinely feels like if Mirror's Edge was developed by Suda Fifty One. Yeah, I could see that. I could see where you're coming from there. But super unique. I, I really, really like the gameplay setup because there are elements of first-person shooter. There are elements of platforming, elements of puzzle solving. It's it's a really interesting, really unique mix. It feels at once really fresh and unique, but at the same time, so incredibly familiar. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the characters who are all kinds of messed up and bonkers in all the best possible ways. I'm a little, I told you this a little bit, Seth, uh, I'm a little ashamed of myself of how uh, much I enjoy Violet. That, that you, you didn't need to say that publicly. You didn't need <laughs> probably, to say that publicly. You, you could have kept that to yourself. <laughs> probably says a little bit too much about me personally. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But the characters are all all great. It's it's super anime. They're all voice acted incredibly well. The game itself is super tight. I think, sir, we might have to do an indie showcase on that perchance someday. So weird because like there there are a lot of really uh, really great games that we're both really sort of are. cramming in and trying to fit in before the Golden Aces and many games that are like worthy of an indie showcase. And they're just, there literally won't be enough weeks between now and then. So, you know, it, we're, we're going to have to be, it, it's going to be genuinely really hard to put together the Golden Aces this, <laughs> this year. It's something that I feel like I bring up almost every other week now, but you remember when we first started this show and we were like, do you think there'll be enough good indie games out there to do a weekly indie yeah. show? <laughs> we were foolish. <laughs> oh, how naive. Oh, how naive. But another game that I was playing this past week, something that I was actually kind of a little bit pseudo excited for that most people have basically already forgot happened this past week was the fact that Mario Strikers Battle League got its final free update this oh, yeah. past week with the addition of Birdo and uh, uh, Birdo Bowser and Jr., uh, right? Bowser Jr. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. In addition to that, you got the shell armor. You got a yet another new... Uh, arena that you can choose from. So now there's a full roster of 16 playable characters, nine full sets of armor that you can get for each character, eight uh, full-on arenas that you can choose from. So, uh, you know, it feels like a full-featured game now, minus 
a couple fairly notable still exceptions, unfortunately. And I, the game is still a ton of fun with the new characters and everything that they've added. I, I went back and I, I still had so much fun with it. I really, really enjoyed my time with it, even though at the time, you know, I was just messing around with the new content, seeing what it played like. I just went in and was playing. You know, I played a couple tournaments against the CPU. I didn't get online or try anything, but uh, try anything online. But I still had so much fun. And I, God, I want to love and recommend this game so much more. But it's it's still very notably held back by its multiplayer options, unfortunately. And, you know, I look at it, I look at all the, the new things they've added, and I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to enjoy it. But it's still, it's still a game that I wish that we were still that it gave us a reason to still be playing. Yeah. I, I've sort of just accepted my lot with it. I'm, I'm just, you know, it just wasn't for me. Um, there, there are a lot of people that I know, um, that, that, you know, that really loved it. People who played it like hyper competitively and stuff who, who love mm-hmm. that game. So I don't want to take anything away from those people, but it just didn't click with me. It just wasn't, wasn't my thing. Sam actually said something on, uh, a recent episode of retro logic. Cause Dan had said, something to that effect, like how much he disliked the game. And Sam said, like, you, you don't actually, you just miss being the age you were when the Wii and GameCube versions came out. And I was like, Oh, the truth hurts, man. Like he's probably (laughs) right. That probably does have something to do with it. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Fair enough. I can see that. Uh, But uh, continuing to play Jitsu Squad. I haven't beaten it yet. I'm kind of taking it one stage a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, you know, it's a little bit too hype for me to, to absorb in yeah. just a single sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's still a ton of fun. I'm still really enjoying it. Still haven't beat Jitsu Squad yet. However, the last thing that I'm going to talk about is a game that you've already mentioned that you've played this past week, Seth, but a game that both you and I, let's just say we both had experiences with this past week uh fairly strong experiences not necessarily positive experiences but we both seth and i have had some pretty memorable experiences with tunic yeah man i played a lot of tunic this week i i effectively 100%ed it so yeah i definitely tunic is the kind of game that like i really again it it's going to really come down to like what we have time for, but like, I really do want to have like a dedicated tunic discussion. If it's, if, if, if it's an indie showcase, like whatever we wind up doing, like tunic is such an interesting game. Like after you're done with it, I really do want to just talk about it on the show. So, and there's a reason that he says when I'm done with it, because, uh, I wound up having personally, the game is very famously obtuse. You know, it doesn't hold your hand, but it's arguably a little too obtuse in a few uh, regards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To the point where there are very important cornerstone elements to the mechanics in that game that are incredibly hard, or I'm sorry, that are incredibly easy to just completely miss. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the boss fights and you're like, what is going on? There's no reason it should be this challenging. And then after a couple hours, I discovered something and then immediately finally beat the boss. After a couple hours, after I had gone through the whole one more go portion, after I had gone through the whole, you know, bleep this bleeping bleep 
uh, part of my psyche to basically just to the end where I was despondent and just beyond caring about anything. So it was such a powerfully negative experience for me that what I decided to do was actually just stop. I, I had beaten the boss. I was the second boss. It was the siege engine. I had beat Mm -hmm. the boss, but I just deleted my save file. I said, I, if I, if I were going to continue playing this game, I know that I would continue playing it as that despondent checking the box. I could care less about what I'm doing right now version of Eric. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to experience that. And I didn't want that mindset to, you know, to pepper over what otherwise could be really objectively good parts about the game. So after that experience, knowing what I know now, I deleted my save file. I'm going through Neon White, going through Jitsu Squad. Seth and I are playing. Hopefully, it takes two as you're listening to us right now. Uh, and then I'm going to go back to Tunic next week and, and 100% it like Seth did. But it was, it was, it was a very, very memorable experience. That game is, of course, punishingly difficult. And... It's mm, man. It's, yeah, we. There's a lot of stuff I want to say, but you're absolutely right. Once I do beat the game, we are going to have to have some type, in some way, shape, or form, a full discussion on Tunic because it is a game that absolutely warrants that. If nothing, there's else. so much. There, there's so much to talk about. There really is. It and you know, and I tweeted this out, and I think this is the most succinct way I could say it. Like, it it demands way too much of the player. Just in terms of the obtuseness, it, it likes the smell of its own farts way too much. Like it ah. just, like it, it, it just like it, it revels in that sort of obtuse, not handholdy nature way too much to the point to the absolute detriment of the game. One thousand percent. There are things in this game that I am not kidding you. If you managed to, let me just talk directly to the camera right now. If you out there managed to 100% tunic without the use of a guide, you either need to be on a list for the FBI to know where you are, or you should be working for the FBI. Like the amount of things that you have to just deduce to know that you just need to know that just need to come out of the wisps of your, of the synapses of your mind are insane. It's like, it is the craziest thing I have ever seen, maybe ever in my career playing video games. Like, it's wild. Um, And so, yes, what I ended up doing after I finished the game is, and, and, you know, there were a couple of things that did come naturalistically. And I I texted you this because last night was kind of my big stint with it coming into the final stretch of the game. And I had this like moment of clarity and realization where something just kind of clicked for me when I was playing last night that melted my brain. Like this game does a couple of things throughout its runtime that just recontextualize the entire game in the world. And it's genuinely some of the coolest moments I've ever had in a video game. The game is impossibly cool and I do want everybody to play it, but the combat is way too mechanically loose to justify what it asks of you. It's way too like obtuse, you know? So what I recommend everybody do out there, if you get frustrated with this game, please play with the accessibility options, turn them on. Don't let your gamer pride get in the way of enjoyment because I've struggled with that my whole life too. I get it. 
just just turn on if you're if you're you know to the point where like because i had a moment like you did too where i was like dude i'm ready to turn this off forget this game and never touch it again and i was like i can't i can't let that be the wall between what is again some of the coolest moments i've experienced in a long long time which is exactly why i did it just turn on the accessibility. Just, just even if it's just for a fight, even if it's just for a moment, just turn it on. Swallow the gamer pride and just push through. I just, I recommend that to everybody out there because it really is ridiculous. Some of the stuff. This game is just like some tightening away from being an all timer. Yeah. It would be my yeah. number three game of the year, legit. So, and uh, this is this is one of the reasons that we try not to talk too in depth about games that we haven't seen credits on yet because both Seth and I were naively saying last week, oh, this is definitely a game you should play through on your first playthrough without any of the accessibility options with the difficulty. Yeah. Yeah. Get get us, you know, because look, your mileage may vary. Maybe, Maybe you love the combat. Maybe you think it's super tight or whatever. I don't. I think the no. combat's very loose, and if you do anything more than like one v one, you're in real trouble. Just yeah, I'm not the, even. The combat is designed for one v one, and then they throw yeah. fifteen things at you. It, it's it's like there there's one area in the game in particular that is laughable. Like it's ridiculous what they ask of the player to go through there, and that's when I said, "Nope, I'm turning on this no fail mode. Forget the gamer pride." And I got through that section. I turned the no fail mode back off and I played the rest of the game normally. And that was fine. But um, if you get to that place with Tunic, just, just, just do it. And like when it comes to 100%ing it again, just, just just do it. And and yeah, pull up your, pull up the guide to do the 100%. It's going to be fine. You know what I mean? It's going to be fine. You're not going to figure it out by yourself. I pro- you're a psycho if you figure it out by yourself. So, uh, anyway, I-, I do think it warrants further discussion. I'll be fascinated to know how you end up coming away from it. And whatever form that takes, I do want to talk more about this game. Yeah, I do too. Very, I, you know what? Despite that overwhelmingly negative situation, that overwhelmingly negative uh, experience that I went through, there... Like the game is still, there is something about the game. I'm still really excited to restart it next week. So we'll see what happens once I beat it. And again, I don't know. We'll see if we're talking about it in a couple weeks for the Golden Aces. We shall see. Regardless, we are going to find a way to talk about that game on the show in the future. Yeah. Adam says challenge accepted here at the YouTube live chat. Adam, do go ahead, Adam. Go, go right ahead. I, I, but I'm telling you, don't, don't let the gamer pride get in the way. Everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm people. I'm there. I've been there. Just, just get over it and just, it, we're, we're playing games to have fun. And the argument that I told myself for many, many years was, well, this wasn't the way the developer intended. No, the developer intended you to play the, that, that's why the option is in there is because if the, the developer probably wants you to just experience their game. So, you know, put some of that gamer pride maybe in the back corner of your mind a little bit for just a second and get through the part that's like breaking your heart and making you want to turn the game off. All right. Uh, I know game champ listens to us and yeah, I, they may be thinking right now, Ooh, maybe I could go through like base stats. No potions. Don't, don't, no, do it. just don't, don't just don't, don't do, do it. it. Don't do it to yourself. I'm just, I'm here to tell you, just don't do it. All right. <laughs> and I'll be don't here to tell you next that. week to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, so real quick, um, I'll, I'll rattle through mine. I've actually been playing quite a lot this week. Um, yeah, crunch time, baby. 
It's it's crunch time, dude. Uh, so we're doing an indie showcase this week on the show on Wavetail. You and I both played through that. Uh, yep. We actually we both finished it actually a little. We got like quite early access to it. So huge thanks to Thunderful for yeah, um, thank you for, that. for providing us access to that. And um, and we're going to be talking about it later in the show. Uh, we also got early access to a couple of other games, um, which which is awesome. That's that's the thing is like. The games haven't stopped coming out. No. <laughs> you know, people people have already been doing their game of the year discussions. It's like, guys, a game like Akka just came out this past week, uh, which I which I played. There's a video up on the YouTube channel. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking that out. Akka is a very special little game. Don't sleep on it. As really someone cool. who has four tattoos, get the tattoo, Seth. Yeah, I I might. There Akka opens with really powerful words and essentially the setup of Akka is you're playing as the titular Akka, this red panda who was a warrior. Yeah, he was a not warrior. Not the one who does our, not the one who does our soundtrack. Not the <laughs> yeah, one who no, does not, our theme. Not that red panda, different red panda, different an red actual panda. red panda. He's, he's like a, like an old warrior's got scars. His ear has like pieces taken out of it and stuff. And the game actually opens on a war torn battlefield. And he finds a note from one of his old war buddies uh, that says, hey, come to this island, find your inner peace, recenter yourself, get away from all of this war and death, you know. And um, he builds a boat and he makes sail for this place called Pine Island to be with his with his war buddy. And as Akka is taking off, he vows, he's like, this, this katana, this samurai sword is not going to cut limbs anymore. It's only going to cut, you know, the, the crops that he's that he's tilling. He's like, this isn't going to be used for death anymore. And it opens with the words, forget to destroy, learn to create. And I thought that was such a powerful statement. Like those words were so beautiful. It hit me like a freight train. Forget to destroy, learn to create. I was like, dude, I legitimately would get that tattooed on my body. What an amazing mantra that is. Um, it's a special game. I will say... Um, and again, uh, if I hadn't already mentioned this, big thanks to the publisher for providing us access to that as well. We did get a free code for that. And um, and, and again, the YouTube uh, video is up on the channel. And uh, we really, really appreciate that because it, it's a special game that I feel like a lot of people are going to sleep on. It's essentially a life sim um, where you're on this island. You can grow crops. You can uh, do the typical like life management stuff. But there's also a lot of characters on the island to do like quests for and things like that. And it's all about just sort of like, yeah, finding your inner peace and getting away from. But like what's nice is the characters of the game don't let you get away with your past either. You know, like it kind of taps into that like God of War 2018 thing a little bit where it's like, this is a character who did bad things in their past. And like the game doesn't let them get away with that. So I, I really like the game a lot. Um, it, it does need a patch. I will say um, the, the game could use a patch because there's a little bit of like jankiness with the controls. Um, it, I, I was talking to uh, my friend Lockleth co-host on the Nintendo drive Lockleth. Um, she's playing it as well. She got early access as well. And we were both kind of sharing back and forth our experiences while we were playing it pre-release. And she actually had like, not only just the jankiness with the controls that I was experiencing, but also like hard crashes. I haven't had hard crashes Ooh. or anything, but, but the game does need like an optimization patch or something like that. But, um, but it's a, but it's a special, special game. Once, once it's like patched up and cleaned up a little bit, it, it really is going to be one worth looking at. For yeah. sure. 
I want to play it. Again, we got early access to it just with all the crunch and everything. We're having to be very particular about the yeah. games that we are playing in these like so much so that we even got access to a very high profile game from a very high profile studio that I am personally super excited to maybe one day possibly have the chance to play. Uh you made a video on it, Seth, and I just am jealous that you actually got to play it. We have it. I want to play it. What did you think of Crisis Core? Yeah, b- big thanks to Square Enix for providing us access to Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core Reunion. Actually, I think, sorry, I think the proper title is Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion. Uh, this is like the remake, Turbo. reimagining, yeah, whatever, Turbo HD remix. Big, big thanks to Square Enix for letting us check this out. That video is also up on the YouTube channel. A lot of YouTube content for me this week. Um, and yeah, so... Crisis Core is a, I mean, yeah, it's it's a remake of a PSP game, and I think that that's going to, I think that's going to turn some people off, but for me, it's weirdly nostalgic. Like, when you're going into I've these- I've seen that a lot. I've seen that, uh, yeah. I've seen that uh, opinion a lot, that it really, really hits- that old PSP GBA, like that, er, like that mid two thousands to late two thousands handheld yep. feel. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I mean, cause from what I understand and, and I kind of, I was wondering coming into this game and I'm actually still not a hundred percent sure. Um, but I was wondering if this was going to go like kind of fall in line with the final fantasy seven remake, um, sort of story, because for those who don't know, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything FF7 Remake, uh, but FF7 Remake is not a one-to-one remake of Final Fantasy VII whatsoever. Um, no. it, it takes some very serious deviations from the story, and I was curious how Reunion was going to play into it. It seems like it it just no seriously is a remake of the PSP game. Um, but, like, with that being said, they've prettied up the graphics. It runs actually really well on Switch. Um, like rock solid, a couple little frame dips, but like nothing serious, very momentary. It's, it's like very solid throughout. And then visually, yeah, like it looks great. And actually, um, as I'm playing it, I'm like, to me, this doesn't look like way worse than final fantasy seven remake. Like it looks pretty good. Um, it's kind of somewhere, it's like somewhere between, like, it's not quite to that level, but it's like, it's pretty, you know, they, they did a good job. Um, but yeah, like the way that PSP games were just sort of like, you know, you're going through like corridors, you would, all of your battles are basically in like rote little arenas, like kind of very, you know, standard combat encounters. It feels like a game that was made in 2007 for a handheld console. You know what I mean? Um, but for me, that's actually a benefit for me. It kind of plays into like a, arcadey feel like a very pick up and play sort of feel i love playing it on the oled like i love it's yeah, like the perfect handheld I game bet. yeah so good for that because you can just go in and do like a mission or two and it's very pick up and play because it was designed that way but this is not if you're looking for like a meaty traditional like jrpg experience like you would expect from final fantasy that's not what this is like it's an action game <laughs> you know from 2007 like th- this is you know, th- this is kind of what you're getting into. Um, but for me, it, it like totally hits the spot. Like I, I just, nice. it, it's, it's, mwah, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> nice. Let's get a remake of Dirt to Cerberus now. That wouldn't shock me. Honestly, if this does well, <laughs> wouldn't shock me. Well, so. when it comes to 
re-release games from a Square Enix. There was something else that happened this past week that I am very excited about that I hope bears fruit later on uh, down the line for us. We shall see. Oh, the, the ESRB thing? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. February Direct's creeping up, folks. Mm. It's creeping up. If, if Man, if they put those all on one cart. Oh, oh my. That's everything we'll I see. ever wanted all in one place. Oh. <laughs> we'll see. Getting we a little heart see. palpitations so there. Yeah, for those who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the ESRB rated uh, the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters, the the one through six Pixel remasters for Nintendo Switch this past week. So that means like they are coming. It's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Um, so very very cool. But Eric, we got some news to talk about. A lot of release dates this <laughs> we week. We do. We've certainly been talking a lot about games already in this episode. So I mean, let's just keep doing that. Let's talk about it. Listen. Well, you know, some stuff happened this week with games, but the first thing we really want to touch on is an anime because after over 25 years, we're coming to the end of an era in and an announcement that I frankly didn't ever think was going to come. I've, I've never prepared myself mentally for this. I just didn't see this ever happening. But yes, Ash and Pikachu are coming to the end of their journey together in the Pokemon anime. After Ash very famously won the world championship in the previous Pokemon uh, animated series in the Galar region from Leon. They are releasing 11 special episodes, like a final little mini-series farewell to Satoshi and Pikachu before picking up with two brand new protagonists for the new Paldea region of the anime. And like 25, like a full two and a half decades, a quarter century of following these two characters across hundreds of episodes again and not just tv episodes like how many movies literally dozens literally dozens of movies and like oh my god like i genuinely didn't think this day would ever come but here we are actually coming to the end of the journey for ash and pikachu uh my mind's just kind of blown and I genuinely actually started to get like super emotional oh, yeah. when, it, when it came to one little, unfortunately kind of treated as a throwaway scene. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, we have, we have a couple comments here from the YouTube live chat that tap into this. Uh, oh. Adam says, I don't even care about Pokemon. And that announcement got me getting emotional. And then Sam makes the point, honestly, Pokemon should have been rotating protagonists this whole time, the way the Pokemon special manga does. And that is true. The manga has been rotating protagonists this entire time. And apparently like they've been really good. People who read the manga really like the new protagonist. So maybe, you know, I know a lot of people were kind of like, ah, like it's not going to be the same without Ash, you know, but regardless of any of that, we got this trailer announcing that yes 
Ash and Pikachu's journey is coming to an end after all this time. We're getting 11 final special episodes. These start airing on January 13th in Japan. And then after that in April, the brand new series is going to kick off with new protagonists um, in the Paldea region. And yes, we saw a couple of shots because they're treating this 11 episode uh, kind of special series to wrap up Ash and Pikachu's story as just just a catch-all just a celebration of this entire thing and the moment you're talking about a, a catch em all if you will a catch em all if you will um of uh this moment that they showed with you know we we got flashes of brock and misty of course and like all of this course. stuff that you expect to see in in this finale but yeah when when they brought butterfree out butterfree oh <laughs> i was like my. oh God. Oh, it's like that. They're going for the jugular. It's going to be like that, huh? It yeah. is really hard to understate how emotional that was for so many of us who began at the ground level when it came to the Pokemon anime. Mm-hmm. Like that unlocked a core memory in me that immediately when I saw that, like, like just instant emotion, just like in Ratatouille at the end when that evil food critic just remembers back to his childhood. Right. Like yep. that was me. That was absolutely me. Big just time. seeing Butterfree, the reunion with Ash and what I presume is a reunion and not just a memory. Yeah, I assume uh, so. It looks like a reunion. But man, oh my God, that hit so hard for me. I haven't admittedly watched many of the episodes in a while, but I oh, will, no, I will definitely watch these. I will definitely check out these 11. And it's just so weird because after, like for so many people who have been following the anime or, you know, who were ever invested in the animated show for whatever reason, this is a big deal because you were invested at least at some point in these characters and in their journey. And to know that that's coming to an end, I mean, it's it's important for a lot of people. It, I mean, again, even though my, like the Indigo League was definitely my big, uh, my big obsession. Of and course. I did admittedly progressively fall off. You know, I watched the Orange Islands and uh, when they got into Johto and Pokemon Johto. Yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Johto. Do, 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 do. Yeah, I still got uh, I still got the original soundtrack somewhere from KB Toys that still has the uh, one year warranty sticker on it. I could I could still bring it. Think back that's and, still good. Yeah, uh, go in there get <laughs> still bring that warranty. <laughs> I still remember what the warranty sticker says. The warranty sticker says uh, uh, August sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine. So anytime wow. before August sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine, I could take that soundtrack back and exchange. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To but be a yeah, master. To be okay. I'm gonna. Pro I promise. I'm gonna stop singing. But yeah, it's it, it's a big deal. If you you know if if the Pokemon anime isn't your thing, cool. But for a lot of people, this is like Ash and Pikachu defined this IP for so many people. It's the most profitable IP in the history of humanity. And, I mean, the end of an era really isn't underselling this uh, announcement. No, not at all. They're, they're. I mean, Ash and Pikachu are maybe 
with the exception of maybe like I don't know Goku or something like that. Like there are few characters in anime in that fiction. are more iconic. Yeah, than than Ash and Pikachu. So so I mean yeah, this this is a huge deal, man. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this all wraps up. I'm ready for the tears. Uh, it was really nice to see the the two sort of um, the actresses who, who have played Ash over the years, Veronica Taylor, yep. the original voice of Ash, yep. and the the kind of new I say new, but but I think she's been voicing Ash for like 15 plus years or something like that. Sarah Natacheni. Um, <laughs> that both just shows released- you how far back we go. Yeah, they they both released uh, statements, kind of saying you know how emotional this journey has been, how they never thought that that Ash's journey would yeah. come to an end either. So yeah, this is, this is it's really cool, man. It's really cool. Can't wait to cry. Looking forward to it. I don't know. We will see how <laughs> we'll, we'll see how Pokemon handles uh, the the journey forward with these new protagonists if they have plans to to have, you know, another two decade plus journey with these new characters, or if maybe they'll start to go the manga route and just do season to season to season. Yeah. I think that's probably what they'll do. There's, there's no reason to kind of put themselves into that, that same situation, but uh, looking forward to it. Either way it goes again, January 13th in Japan is when those episodes begin to air. And then April in Japan is when the new season starts to air. I don't know what the turnaround is going to be like for, uh, for us Americans getting the dubbed version, but either way, I uh, can't wait to see how it all shakes out. Eric, release dates. So a lot of release, release dates. dates. <laughs> release dates the week. Basically, yeah. I do yeah. want to shout out real quick because we, we forgot to mention this in the, what we've been up to. Um, we were kind of looking for a release date because GoldenEye is supposed to drop before the end of the year, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, hey, seems like this would be a good week to announce it. On Thursday, we did get an NSO drop. So, I mean, the release dates were then, but I guess those were still release dates, just not the release date we were looking for. (laughs) (laughs) But we did get some NSO games to the Sega Genesis app, and I know you've put a little bit of time into them. Yes, I did play all four of the brand new Sega Genesis games released on NSO Shadow Drop this past Thursday when even I, the Jedi Nostradamus (laughs) that I consider myself when it comes to these types of announcements, I was wrong about this. Uh, I was even telling you, I was like, Seth, I feel it in the force. I feel it in the force. It's coming. But sure enough, it wasn't Maybe next the announcement. Week. It's got to be next week, basically. But it wasn't the announcement or release of GoldenEye. It was instead the release of four brand new games, like we said, on the Sega Genesis in SO app in the form of Golden Axe 2, Alien Storm, Columns, and what was the other one? Virtua Fighter. Virtual Virtua Fighter, Fighter 2. two. Yeah, yeah. I for, of course I forgot the fighting game. Of course. You don't like fighting ever, games. Exactly. Why? <laughs> Virtual Fighter 2 is actually a really interesting uh, case study when it comes to fighting games because in the 16-bit era, f- video game consoles were not pushing out arcade perfect ports. And Virtual Fighter is an incredibly good example of that. Virtual Fighter 2 on console versus Virtual Fighter 2 in arcade are basically two completely different games. Uh, it's, it's really, it's interesting. Virtual Fighter 2 uh, Genesis is not a good game necessarily, <laughs> but it is but you really interesting. We, we do have it. I have a brand new free fighting game that I can play on my Sega Genesis NSO. But I did play through the arcade mode of that. Got flip kicked by Sarah about a billion times. Uh, but I mean, it's still, you know, it's still an interesting 
uh, experience. It's uh, again, good for preservation. I, I am glad that it's there. I would really like if Sega released, if they did a straight up arcade release, we've talked about other consoles they need to release for like the Dreamcast, the master system, Sega Saturn and stuff. But admittedly, even us included, I don't hear anybody talking about arcade releases. That's what Sega needs to do is some straight up arcade, like the Virtual Fighters, the Outruns, and do like put together an authentic arcade collection of old Sega games. Um, but in addition to Virtual Fighter 2, we also got Columns. If you've never played Columns, it's a kind of a precursor to Bejeweled. A little bit. It's like Bejeweled meets Mean Bean Machine. Okay. You have uh, you have little uh, blocks of three, little eye-shaped formations of three separate jewels, and you can change the order of the jewels up until very Tetris-like they get down to the bottom of the screen. And I think there's six or seven different color and different shaped jewels, but it's very similar to Tetris or Poyo Poyo, once you get three of the same color jewel in a row, either vertically, horizontally, or diagonally, then those jewels will disappear and give you points, and you can combo. It's just a little bit different than a lot of the other puzzle games of that elk you've played. Games like Dr. Mario and Tetris, and uh, even games like, um, I was about to say Flax, but uh, no, Clacks. there's always there's yeah, yeah yeah there's always time for it, Seth. It is the '90s, and there's time for clacks. There is time for clacks. So it's it's very similar to a lot of those old '90s puzzle games. Just a little tweak here and there, but Columns is still an interesting, slight variation on that same old, very tried and true puzzle formula. So if you want to check that out, that's also there. We also got a couple beat em ups. Like I said, Alien Storm and Golden Axe 2. The Golden Axe series at this point has just kind of reached that gaming level of nostalgic wonder that it, you know, even though the games themselves, even though much better beat em ups have come out in recent years, it's still fun to go back through. It's still fun to get a couple friends together and go back through as the the Amazon, as the warrior, as the dwarf, and go kill uh what was it the the Black Death? You know, the 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 bad guy's army and you know, just classic medieval style beat em up. So you can uh you can ride that's another thing. They haven't you know, they need to make another golden axe so they can so you can have beast riding again. Yeah, do, do they? Do they need to make <laughs> another golden axe? Yeah, Golden Axe Beast Rider really wasn't that good. But uh, you know what? I, again, I'm I'm super nostalgic, so I enjoyed it. And then Alien Storm. Alien Storm I actually really liked because it's a beat-em-up. But after going through a couple little beat-em-up screens, they throw you into like a first-person arcade shooter, like the Aerosmith Revolution arcade game, or you'll do like this little run-and-gun section. So a little bit of beat-em-up, a little bit of arcade running, shooting, first-person shooter action so it's you know it's got it keeps a really really good pace uh not necessarily very mechanically deep but you get to go around and beat up aliens and be about as 90s as you can possibly imagine nice so kind of a it sounds like a little bit of a mid drop but it is four games that are now preserved yeah. on nso expansion pack so if you have that definitely check them out um so those those did just come out this past thursday but eric no, we do have many release dates 
And I know it's a little bit weird to like get hung up on release dates, but we got so many release dates this week. We we just we kind of do just have to stop and, and just acknowledge them because it, it really is kind of absurd. The first one we have here is we've got a, a I guess an opening date slash release date for <laughs> <laughs> the release date for when they release the gates. Yeah, that's right. For uh for Super Nintendo World in Hollywood, that is opening Friday, February 17th, 2023. Yeah, uh, so look forward to that in Hollywood, Universal Studios Hollywood. That's happening very finally, soon. Finally, stateside, our Super Nintendo World is opening. And Seth, officially, we've got to start getting that road trip planned. Yeah, I'm, I got to wait on that Florida one, man. Got to mm. do the Florida one. I don't <laughs> want to go to the Hollywood one. Y'all can keep that. But look, I'm well, just what happy they, that it's... What if they open up the, the Donkey Kong one and the uh, Hollywood one first? They might. I don't know. I uh, for the the nice thing about that is is uh, you know, if if I want to get my hands on some of the merch early, I can do that now a lot more affordably than importing from Japan. So that is nice, at least. But I got. I'm waiting on the. I'm waiting on the Orlando version, man. Well, so, if you're anywhere and that's close, in your backyard, exactly. So. Yeah. So, but if yeah. you're anywhere close to the Hollywood or even California area next year, right after Valentine's Day, February seventeenth, stay two months side, away. We, yeah, two months I away. Mean, so, go ahead and check it out. We'll be totes jealous of you. Take tons of pictures and share them all with us. Let me know uh, if you know. Maybe you want to get some of your favorite Nintendo co-hosts a souvenir while you're there. You know, I'm let us saying. know. We, <laughs> we can <laughs> we can we can arrange that. Uh, okay, next release date we have. So that's that's February seventeenth, twenty twenty three. Next one we have here is even sooner than that. We've got some new amiibo yes! from the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate line coming on January thirteenth. Kazuya and Sephiroth are coming. January 13th. Kazuya and Sephiroth, we are coming to the end. We are ever so close to the end of the Smash Brothers Amiibo releases. I got, uh, <laughs> I actually got uh, Seth and Alex, or Seth and Alex. I got Steve and Alex behind me. I'm back We've there got, too. Yeah, you are <laughs> here in my heart. Aww. But we got Pyra and Mithra also announced yep. uh, coming a little bit later on the next year. And. Man, we're we're almost there, but those man, still those amiibos, they just continue to get more impressive. That Sephiroth amiibo specifically looks stunning. It looks yep. so good. It's got Sephiroth's one ring, one ring, one wing. That's a completely mm-hmm. different franchise. The one ring, <laughs> yeah, completely different franchise. It has Sephiroth's one wing wrapped around him, and what I can only describe as badass. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to get my hands on those. They're actually already up for pre-order at on at many places. So uh, it seems like those are going to be uh, those are going to be very uh, uh, plentiful. Uh, Cheesy C here in the YouTube live chat says Sora early twenty twenty four. Then I mean it's weird Probably. because Pyra and Mithra. Couple of things. So Pyra and Mithra. Uh, we did get confirmed. They're going to be two separate amiibo, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. it's not going to be like some kind of dual amiibo thing. They're going to be two separate amiibo, so that's great. Um, and those are just coming vaguely sometime in 2023. Now, does that mean late 2023? Who knows? Um, Sora is kind of the last one that we still need to hear about, but I think yep. what it is is I think they're going to make a really big deal out of it. I think that's kind of what they're waiting on. They're going to make that kind of the 
marquee. I mean, it's the end of, of the Smash Ultimate line. And you know. more than likely, well, I don't want to say more than likely, but like, how many more games do you think they're going to ultimately release Amiibo for post-2024? Like we're I still honestly... Get, we're still getting stuff for like Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. We still got, of right. course, the Splatoon 3 Amiibo. But if we're being honest with ourselves... How many more games do you think Nintendo is ultimately going to release Amiibo for uh, once these are out? I wouldn't be shocked. If Sora's early 2024, if Sora's late 2023, I don't know. But I wouldn't be shocked if Nintendo said, this is the final Amiibo. Exactly. If they if they said, like, this is it. We're done. Yeah, we're you know, closing the factory down. This is right. the final one. Big blowout. We're going to make a million of them. This is your only chance to get it. No more second prints. Good night. Thank you for everybody who supported the Amiibos. Yeah, because if I'm not... I think Amiibo began in 2014. So if Sora yeah, does come out in 2024... The first releases were the Smash Brothers Wii. Or Smash yeah, Brothers was like, Wii U. Right. It was yeah. like November 21st, 20, 2014, I think. Um. Anyway... Um, the, so it'll be roughly like, like 2024 will be the 10th year of Amiibo. Um, so it would make sense. Like it would be, it would be kind of poetic and it would be nice. Cause we'll, we'll have obviously many for, I'm sure we're going to get tears of the kingdom Amiibo. Those Zelda Amiibo are super popular, you know, whatever. I'm sure we're going to get some more between now and then, but I do sort of anticipate Nintendo saying like, yeah, it's yep. like, this is the final one. It's done. Uh, we're ending it here, and uh, and I would I would honestly be kind of good good with that as somebody who has collected all of these stupid things. Uh, I would be kind of it'd be nice to let the sun set on a on a grateful universe and just kind of <laughs> move on, you know. All right, Thanos. So yeah, so there's I'm a, looking forward to it. There's a couple that I really hope to be able to get someday, but yes, I would very much like for Nintendo to bookend that. I think Sora would be the perfect one to end the the amiibo line on yep yep i know there's a lot of people who are wondering if it's even gonna it, it has to happen like oh, yeah. they they're gonna make it work whatever they gotta do to make it work it's gonna happen but i apologize um, ladies and gentlemen right now if i hoard all of the pirate and mithra amiibos for myself because that might happen <laughs> so i'm sorry <laughs> i'm gonna move on to this next story before you say something you regret uh okay <laughs> the 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 Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection. We got a new uh, video about that, kind of a, a new showcase that Capcom yep. uh, was was talking about uh, earlier on in the week. And in that, we got a release date, April 14th, and chiefly something that made us both very, very oh, happy. Oh, oh, just say it slow, Seth. Say it slow. <laughs> it is getting a physical edition, of course, but the entire Legacy Collection will be blessedly complete on cart. Oh, say Thank it again. you. Thank you, Capcom, for doing this. It's so frustrating whenever we get these things and there's a download code in the box. It needs like a, a big day one download or whatever. Half of it's on the cart and half of it's not. The whole thing is complete on cart. I specifically didn't buy the Mega Man and the Mega Man X Legacy Collections because of that. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, I really did, but because of their treatment of those, I, I just couldn't, I just, I really didn't like the way they did that. So to have all of these games, this whole collection together, complete on a single cart. Yes, please. And thank you, Capcom. Very happy that you finally 
learned your lesson. I am quite enamored with my Mega Man Zero ZX collection. Very happy to be picking up the Battle Network collection. Looking forward, honestly, to the Star Force collection next. Yeah, I guess that's next in line after this, right? I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, I've never yep. played the Battle Network games. Uh, they detailed some of the online functionality as well, yep. which is going to be really cool because those yep. games had uh, a lot of link cable functionality and stuff back on the GBA yep. and whatnot. And um, I know Sam is is looking forward to that. He loves the Battle Network games. He's been streaming them on the RetroLogic uh, Twitch channel. Nice. And, um, yeah, man. I can't wait. Can't wait to finally play these. Looking forward yeah. to it going to be so so good give us more gba games give us more ds games yep i agree uh and then we've got a release yet another release date uh for hogwarts legacy the new harry potter game coming up uh it's coming on like in february for like other consoles but we finally have you Mm -hmm. know they sort of said the switch version is going to come later it's going to be a native switch port it's not going to be a cloud version we're taking our time with it but finally we know it's coming july 25th 2023 and i've got a uh, quote here from uh the team at i believe it's uh avalanche and like port key studios mm-hmm. i think that's right they say quote the team is looking forward to bringing you the game and we want to deliver the best possible game experience across all platforms end quote so i mean they're taking like an extra several months just on the switch version so that 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 gives me hope gives me hope for a good port well i mean they know what they have. This game could be a golden goose for them for a very, very long time. So they know that if they take the extra couple of months, they make it right instead of just trying to rush out an unfinished port and forget about it on another console that already has over 110 million units in the wild. Mm -hmm. If they just try to rush out an inferior port for something that they could potentially make even more money on than the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X combined, then it'll hopefully pay dividends for them in the future. And I do hope because, you know, JK Rowling's stupidness aside, there's still a massive, massive fan base of the Wizarding World. And I want, like, I know you're a big part of that, Seth, and I want you guys Mm -hmm. to have the game like that this should be and that this is telling people that it is because it looks so cool. Yeah. They did like, um, like a 35 minute, uh, they, they've been really good about every couple months or so. We get a nice long look at the game, uh, of gameplay and kind of seeing how it's shaping up. I think the game looks great. I'm actually really looking forward to this, uh, specifically waiting on the switch version, not only because, um, the, the PS five and whatever versions come out in like February. So there'll be a nice long time to hear like kind of the full scope of the game's discourse. Is it good? Is it not good? But, uh, when the switch version of the game comes out, that's when I'm going to pick it up because I want to, I mean, look, we're Nintendo content creators. I want to be able to, uh, let you guys know how the switch version of the game stacks up. So you can look forward to, uh, switch coverage of Hogwarts legacy when it does come out July 25th. And uh, yes. I hope the game is as good as good as it looks. Well, I know so. you saw the big headline this week about the fact that you can, you know, use the the killing curse and and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So, I mean, it's it, of course you're going to be able to use the killing curse in the Hogwarts game. Of course they were going to include that. Yeah, know, for, maybe only for Slytherin students. I don't know. We'll see. But I mean, of course they were going to include that. That's don't don't combine. enforce those stereotypes that Slytherin means evil. Don't enforce those stereotypes. Slytherin does not mean evil. But Slytherin I mean, just means you're cunning and you're driven and you're determined. And yes, 
most a, a lot of evil wizards are Slytherin, but they're they're evil they're evil wizards in every house, my friend. There are, um, but Slytherin are evil. Don't don't be that don't be <laughs> that guy. Um, so okay, last one here. That and I guess this is also kind of technically a release date. Um, we got info on the new Splatfest. The next yeah. Splatfest is happening uh, in the first weekend of January, January sixth through eighth, and the theme is interesting. It is what's your favorite taste sensation? Spicy versus sweet versus sour. So. Let's just forego Halloween. Let's yep. forego Thanksgiving. Yep. Let's forego the holidays. Yep. Let's wait until the new year and have one that's sweet versus sour. Like, why? What? Like, <laughs> it's a weird one, right? Okay. Okay. It's the, the Pokemon one made a ton of sense. But the first one I thought was kind of weird. This one I think is kind of weird. I'm a little, I'm a little trepidatious about the future of Splatfest and Splatoon Three. Seth, I'm not gonna lie. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's just fun. I don't really, to be honest, yeah. I don't really care what the theme is. It's just fun. Just a reason that's, to jump into Splatoon. That's fair. you know, yeah. It's and really for me, like I. I'm to the point with, with Splatoon where really I just jump in. We got a, a couple of Team Spicy call-outs here in the chat from, from Cheesy and Adam are both Team Spicy. I think I might I'll, be Team Spicy, too. I'll, honestly, yeah, I think I might take Team Spicy. Yeah. I, one of the things I do like about Splatfests is because so many of them are so dumb, a lot of people get wrapped up in just the stupidity of passionately defending Something that you would otherwise not care to. Something as dude. About. The first one was rock paper scissors. Like nobody actually cares, but people will fight and people to the like, death. I will no. die on this yeah. hill. <laughs> yeah, it's just so dumb. And that 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 is something that I kind of low key appreciate about yeah. these stupid like team gear just, grub yeah. and fun. Like yeah. the, you know, even for these dumb esoteric spot fests, people will fight tooth and nail for it. They'll pick so. a team and they will die on that yep. hill for something they, again, outside of the context of Splatfest, would care nothing about. So yep. I do I do appreciate that. And honestly, that could be something that they're leaning into. It's like, let's see what the stupidest thing we can come up with that people <laughs> yeah. will fight to the death over. Yeah. But for me, it's fun. It's fun to just have like a weekend where I can pop in play splatoon if it's big run we we you and i and, yeah, and actually we, shout outs to sam we played some big run we this did play some weekend. big run that was that was not easy no no it wasn't had fun with it though and i we like did, that yeah. we have yeah I, I like that we have these little touchstones like that we can do a big run between a splat fest have a splat fest to look forward to have a weekend of just splatoon and i like that i can you know the new season just started it's nice to have like reasons to jump into it it's not yeah. my daily driver it's not something i'm playing every day um but you know like once a month play it for a weekend great i'm all about it you know so I'm down for this. Uh, so that is we, happening yeah. again, the 6th through the 8th. Spicy, sweet, or sour. Let us know what team you're going to be on. Sounds like Eric and I are team spicy. Yeah, I think I uh, am. I think I got to go spicy. Because I'm, I'm not like, you know, I like sweets. And there there are some sweets that I really, I love like birthday cake and stuff. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. But like, I don't, I don't go out of my way for sweets enough to be like team sweet. And then say I like sour candy, but I'm not team sour, you know? I would rather go spicy. Ultimately, 
I like a spicy curry, you know. Well, the funny thing was before I moved down to your neck of the woods, before I got stationed in Louisiana, I was never really a spicy food kind of guy. But if you're going to live in Louisiana, you're either going to become a spicy food kind of guy or you're just not going to eat. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, we do eat so, a lot of spicy food here. Yeah. So I I actually grew to love, like truly love, not just spicy, but just Cajun food in general. I adore Cajun food. Matter of fact, I uh, had Cajun just last weekend. Nice. And um, so when I whenever I have the opportunity, I do actually try to seek out, you know, something with just a little bit more tang, just a little bit more kick to it. So yeah. spiciness. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm I'm team spicy now. Definitely should have had like definitely a, not sh- team sour. Yeah, Sh- should have had a team umami. I would have been team umami all day long. Uh, all right, well that's been our release dates, things that are coming in the future. But we had things that came out this week, kind of a stacked release week. Again, the games haven't yeah. stopped. So, and we've already talked about actually many of these and, and we, we just want to thank again, all of the publishers who have worked with us and given us access to a lot of the games that have come out this past week. But what do you say we hit some of these notable releases? I'm down. I mean, we're going to be talking about, uh, we've already talked about uh, a few of them. We will be talking about another one here shortly, but, yep. uh, uh, Wavetail came out this week. Again, thank you very much to Thunderful for providing us a very early copy of that. Both Seth and I have rolled credits on that. And spoilers, you're going to be hearing much more about that game very shortly. Previously a Stadia exclusive, but uh, we hope you'll stick around if you're listening to the podcast and check out our Indie Showcase this week. But after Wavetail, we had Little Gator Game come out from Playtonic. Yes. Little Gator Game is so adorable with the Finally little doll gator. He's so cute. I want to play it, Seth. Yeah, me too. I own it. I, I bought it. It's on my Switch. I uh, haven't had a chance to boot it up yet. Just been busy. I'm probably going to stream it. Um, it's probably not going to be until next week. Um, we'll see if I find time, I'm, I'm going to try to stream it soon. Cause I do want to get that in. I want to fit that in, in the midst of everything else. Cause in the it midst looks of super everything cute. else. Yeah, yeah. You've already compared, you've played versions that you've already compared it to yeah. like a short hike and stuff like that. So it's, and it's you and basically, I, it's basically 3d, a short hike. Yeah. Like I love a it. game, it was, a game that both you and I hold in quite high esteem. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I played it during steam next fest, like a year ago, I want to say. And it was my, whatever steam next fest that was, it was my, it was my game of show for that steam next fest. Like I, I loved it. So I'm looking forward to finally playing it. Nice. Uh, a couple other games came out this week that Seth has already talked about. We even created content already. Mm-hmm. Aka come out. Yep. So uh, definitely check out that. Definitely check out uh, Seth's video. Definitely check out our friend Lockleth's coverage of Aka as well. In addition to that, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunionized Turbo Hyper Special Edition EX Plus Alpha. Also out. Also good. Also, uh, These are, it's I a great week, dude. It. Yeah, it's great another week. great week. It's another great week. It's and yeah, I mean, yeah and, well, I mean, we talked about beat 'em ups. We got two on the Nintendo Switch NSO Genesis app. But in addition to Alien Storm, in addition to Golden Axe, we got a proper sequel to River City Girls. River City Girls Two is finally out. We were originally looking for it back this summer, but uh, it wound up getting pushed. Finally came out. Big shout out to Adam Tierney. Uh, another one that I want to play. The latest in the line of the legendary Kunio Kun franchise. Uh, I, yeah, it's on I the mean, list. 
yeah, it's on the list. I really want to play it. Looks awesome. Even uh, even if it's just more River City Girls, even if that's all it is, I'd still be more than happy to play it. Yep. Yep. Big week, man. A lot of stuff came out. The games have not stopped. I know people are like, hey, it's December. The year's already over. The year ain't over, folks. There's still games. Still games coming out. Everybody's already done their best of 2022, and here we are. This is exactly why we wait. Exactly. This is exactly why we wait. Stacked with awesome releases here in December. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But we're, we're eating good, Seth. We're eating good. We're eating good. We Some of these stuffed. games are spicy. Some of these games yeah, are spicy. Say, <laughs> we, we may be stuffed. We may be killed over like No Face and spirited away, you know. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, we're, we're eating good. <laughs> Absolutely, we are. Uh, but let us know what you guys are up to, what you think about everything going on in the world of the big end, about what you are playing this weekend, what you are doing. Are you picking up any of these brand new releases? Uh, speaking of uh, picking up games, there's a huge critically acclaimed sale going on on the eShop right now. So definitely yeah. check those out. A, a bunch of incredible Incredible games on deep discounts on the eShop right now as part of this end of the year, best of 2022, critically acclaimed collection. So definitely check that out. Quick little note there at the end. But whatever you're picking up, whatever you think about what's going on in the world of Nintendo, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at All In Podcast. If you're watching the YouTube stream, A, thank you. But B, make sure to just, you know, move your mouse right over there. And yep, 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 right there, right there, right there. And click that subscribe button. Good, good, good. Now click the bell. Yep, yep, click the bell. And awesome, you are good to go. And if you haven't done that already, it's super easy. Literally, literally it takes you less time than this stupid little promo that I'm speaking <laughs> to do that. So go ahead and follow us on youtube.com slash all in podcast. We've been producing so, so much content, mostly Seth, admittedly, has been producing so, so much all content Seth. on- All Seth on YouTube, all right? All, yeah. Let's, don't, you know, don't sell me short, man. Give me my props. <laughs> You're right. I only appear in the news segments currently. I'm That's sorry. right. <laughs> but uh, uh, definitely check out all the videos, even the couple that, you know, have me in there on youtube.com slash all in podcast. But in addition to that, I mean, yes, mostly Seth is on you, but there's still so much content coming out from the all in brand and some of it's Patreon exclusive. Yes, patreon.com slash all in podcast. Eric's on one of those Patreon exclusive shows, of course, all in side quests, where Eric and I talk about Nintendo topics. This past week, we broke down the Nintendo news from the Game Awards 2022. So, As voted uh, on by our patrons. Out. That's right. That's right. Our patrons get voting power over there on patreon.com slash all in podcast and much, much more. Uh, so definitely head on over there, throw a couple of bones our way this holiday. But if you don't want to throw any bones our way, we do understand it's the holidays. We get it. You can actually support us completely for free by dropping some words on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Audible. And you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. Very, very free, very, very easy, and very, very appreciated. Thank you all. Yes, super, super appreciated. If you decide to drop some words on whatever podcast service you are listening to, thank you all so much. Another big, massive, legendary shout out to all of our phenomenal patrons. Thank you guys so much. And just for anybody who has shared, retweeted, or even consumed our content over the past two and a half years, guys, namaste.
Namaste, indeed, Eric. And you know, in between everything that's been going on, we have a, we've had a crazy month. We're obviously still leading up to the Golden Aces. We're here smack dab in the middle of December, just actually a few days away from the winter solstice. It's about to be winter yes. officially. <laughs> Doesn't feel like it where I'm at. No, me but, either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. For those who don't know, uh, I live in Florida, Seth. My amazing co-host lives in Louisiana, so we don't necessarily get traditional winters. Uh, I, I've, I very much miss my winters up in Tennessee. We got some hard winters up in Tennessee, but I'm, I've always been much more of a cold weather guy. I've always had a cold weather affinity, personally. I don't know about you, Seth. I know you've yeah. spent the vast majority of your life down there. Yeah. So, um yeah, I but, you uh, know, I, I like the cold. I don't necessarily miss the snow from like Chicago and stuff. I don't miss having to shovel it or walk in it or anything like that. <laughs> but it doesn't quite feel like Christmas without it also. So I mean Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's give or take. It's give or take. Yeah. We do what we can, you know, we decorate the palm trees and everything, but it always feels more like the holidays when it's a white Christmas, when mm -hmm. you've got snow and, you know, the wintry weather, when you can curl up with a blanket next to the fire, you know, chestnuts popping and, and all that stuff. So in the spirit of the holiday, we really wanted to talk about some wintry themed games this week. And if for nothing else, maybe talking about some cold weather games will at least in my own mind, help me feel a little bit cooler down here. But yes, we're getting in the holiday spirit just a little bit this week in the top five. All right, Eric, the top five winter based, snowy, icy, cold, chilly Nintendo games. What are the rules? Uh, we really got to think about the SEO for that title. Um, <laughs> yeah, for this week, we are counting down the top five wintry games in Nintendo history. So just a just being a winter-based level is not good enough. Sorry, Mario Kart Trek. Sorry, Freeze Easy Peak. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Winter in Animal Crossing. No, the entire game this time around has to have winter as a backdrop. And not just as a backdrop. That's not even good enough. The whole idea of winter and cold weather and the wintry season has to be a major theme for these titles. They don't necessarily have to be the uh <laughs> the highest reviewed games of all time. We are prioritizing games that really really go down the wintry rabbit hole this week. And honestly, speaking of rabbit holes, uh our number 5 <laughs> takes us down quite a deep one. Our number 5 is actually Never Alone. Yes, one that we've done an indie showcase on here on the show. Yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic game based on the actual culture of the Inipuat people up in uh, Alaska and uh, the northern regions of the Americas. It's a fantastic telling of kind of a couple of their myths, as, you know, a whole bunch of their folklore blended together. And it's super interesting. You can actually unlock little micro uh, little micro documentaries and learn about the real culture of these winter, these amazing winter dwelling people. 
Yeah, it's really amazing, and yeah, it's an it's an ever present force. Actually, the like the cold and like winter winds and things are gameplay mechanics at certain points in that game. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's a really it's a really fascinating look at an underrepresented culture. And for that alone, like even if the game wasn't also just a solid little puzzle platformer, uh, the the things that you learn while playing it would be worth the recommendation alone. Yeah, and not only are you staring at snow and this massive white landscape the entire time, but honestly, without trying to spoil the game too much, the main character is essentially kind of fighting back yep. against this idea of winter itself and the, you know, this idea of desolation that comes with, you know, those hard winters. Yeah, it's about survival, right? I mean, these people live in in a harsh country and in uh, in difficult conditions, you know. And um, there's there's a lot there's a lot to take apart there, and the game does that really really well. But going into our number four, you know, it was nice to kind of kick off the list with some indie representation. We're also going to go somewhere that you might not expect for our number four, and that's to the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment yes. System. And yes. um, we're actually going to highlight. A really special game that is very, you know, wintry themed from the NES. Uh, and of no, course. and no, we're not talking about what you're probably thinking we're talking about. We're not talking about Ice Climber because I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. Ice Climber, it just has to be said, is not a good game. I'm sorry. Yeah. It must be said. <laughs> Doesn't hold up and it isn't good and it was never good. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I said Dan what I said. Popo appearing in Ice Climbers doesn't necessarily make their... And yeah, I hate to say it, we're kind of right about that. Ice Climbers yeah. is, is, is not a good game. It's a classic, in air quotes. It's a classic on the NES, and it, and it gave us a really cool Smash Brothers character. But go back... It's on, it's on the Nintendo Switch. You can mm-hmm. download the arcade version of it on the Nintendo Switch. Go back and with a straight face, tell me that game still holds up. Actually, yeah. I, I'll take that one step further. Tell me that game was ever really fun and interesting. I'm sorry. I, I mean, look, it has it has a lot of personality, but I've got no love for Ice Climber. No, our number four is a game I have a lot of love for. Maybe the single most underrated NES game of all time, in my opinion. Our number four is Kickle Cubicle. <laughs> and... Fair, fair warning. I actually wasn't even aware of this game until recently. And that blew my mind because you take two seconds to look at Kickle Cubicle and you're like, how are people not still talking about this game? It is a late NES title, came out in 1990. But man, there's so much. Like when you talk about the NES and uh, yeah, a lot of games that are kind of like Kickle Cubicle, Adventures of Lolo and Kluku Land, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But for some reason, this game never comes up in those conversations. And even, like I said, looking at it for a couple seconds, it blows my mind that's the case. Yeah, man. More people should be aware of this game. I would love for them to bring this to NSO because, like I said, it's criminally underrated. There was a time there where my wife, my cousin, and I would go to PAX, you know, just about every year. And that was like a recurring tradition. We would just play through Kickle Cubicle and the console free play. We would just literally uh, sort of rent out an NES and play through Kickle Cubicle every single year. And it was super, super fun. Um, But yeah, the entirety of Kickle Cubicle is set in this land beset by ice, just turned to ice by this like ice wizard king. Um, he ends up putting all the denizens of this kingdom in these little bags, and the main character, Kickle, has to go out 
and rescue them. So the objective of each stage is to create platforms with Kickles like Freezing Breath. Uh, he does this by freezing enemies or objects in the environment, and it kind of becomes like a little action puzzle game. Um, you create these pillars, move them around, ha have enemies move them around to areas you couldn't reach yourself. Uh, has a lot of interesting enemy variety, a lot of interesting level layouts, and you just save the world in the, your homeland. It's, I think it's called the Fantasy Kingdom. It's very, you know, a generic plot, but very interesting gameplay with a ton of personality. And they got a lot of fruit, like vegetable based people. There's, yeah. you know, corn cob people with beards and canes and everything. And there's like green, like this green pepper tribe. It's, 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 it's a late game NES. So it's, you know, gather the gems and save the fantasy kingdom kickle with your ice powers. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of that going on, but the best way I can kind of describe it is, you know how you can freeze enemies with the Kirby ice power? You know, you can freeze enemies in New Super Mario Brothers Wii with the ice flower power, and then you can hit them, you know, slide them across the screen, or you could jump on them. That's basically what we're talking about here, but in top-down form. And right. all the levels are tile-based, so they actually kind of get like some pixel art design aesthetic out of a couple of them. Some of the levels are based off of fish or boats or anything, but it's all very winter and cold weather themed throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even like even in the areas of the game that don't that that aren't just completely shrouded in ice or snow or whatever, um, that main gameplay mechanic that Kickle has, you know, making these enemies into ice blocks, that is present throughout the entire game. That's the main central mechanic. They get a lot of interesting mileage, and yeah, this is just a super underrated game that more people should be aware of. Made by actually a low-key legendary developer that a lot of people, you know, don't remember anymore. Um, Irem is this developer who's responsible for making the beat-em-up genre, essentially. They created Kung Fu Master, which is widely regarded to be the first beat-em-up. They created the R-Type series, you know, which I know you love a lot. So... Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, we got Kung Fu Master on the NES as just, you know, Kung Fu. Yeah. But uh, I used to, man, I can't tell you how many times I beat that game. That was, oh, it was so good. Kung Fu began my love of beat-em-ups that still endures to this day. But, you know, going into our number three, we're reaching pretty god-tier level wintry-based games at this point. Our number three is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. That's a pretty good game. Hot take. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> the, the As of the recording of this episode, the final game in the Donkey Kong Country franchise, which is mind-blowing to mm -hmm. me. You and I have talked quite a bit over the past year about the 40th anniversary of a certain ape and the possible future he might have. So very much hoping to hear some announcements on that sooner rather than later. But yeah, mind-bogglingly, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze is right now the last one in the series, which, you know what? Okay, Nintendo, that's, that's a choice. But in the game, this time, it's not King K. Rule. It's not King K. Rule, and it's not the weird tiki enemies from Donkey Kong Country Returns. The Snowmads this time around, and their mm -hmm. leader was a Lord Lord Frederick. Yep. Yeah, they come and they take over Donkey Kong Island. They blow this big, you know, a wooden horn. Mm -hmm. And it creates this massive winter storm and freezes over DK's island. 
the whole Donkey Kong family gets kicked off the island and they have to fight their way back to their own island and take it back over from the Snowmads. And while the entire game isn't set against a wintry backdrop, like the whole theme of the game really is. That's the theme of the game is the entire the entire army of bad guys that you're facing are these frozen weather baddies and you're fighting to basically thaw out mm-hmm. to save DK's Isle before, you know, I guess the bananas get too bad from being frozen. Nah, I don't think about it too much. <laughs> don't think about it too much, but it's true. That's the entire point of the game. That's the entire narrative backdrop of Tropical Freeze. If the entire game was frozen over, this would have been an easy number one, honestly. I mean, this is yeah. one of the great 2D platformers of all time. And I do think that the Snowmads um, were a huge step up from, I think they're called the Tiki Tax or whatever in, um, in Returns. And like, to me, that's actually the one... They were tiki-tacky, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the one chink in the armor for me with uh, with these with these two games. They're fantastic games, but like the enemies, I think, were kind of lame. The Snowmads, a, a huge step up, at least. And um, I, did, I did like that sort of narrative conceit. And yeah, as you're kind of making your way through to Donkey Kong Island, um, you're not going to be beset by snow and ice the entire time, but it is kind of a cool vibe to need to kind of crawl your way back to your own frozen over island, slowly taking down the snowmats along the way. Yeah, and even though we don't have a follow-up yet, we did get a fantastic Nintendo Switch port for Donkey Kong Island that gave us one funky easy mode. That's true. Yeah, got that got that funky mode in there. Now with funky mode. Now with <laughs> funky mode. Oh, it's such a good game. They, like they both got Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D on the 3DS was a fantastic remake of Donkey Kong Country Returns and uh, the Switch version of Tropical Freeze was similarly great. Turns out a lot of Wii and Wii U games translate to the Nintendo Switch well. Hmm. 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 You know, speaking of Wii U, Eric, there is a Wii U game uh, that a lot of people have sort of forgotten about, I feel like, just in the grand scheme of things in general, but also might have forgotten that the entire thing is not only beset by winter, the entire plot, the game takes place on Christmas Eve. The Wii U port of Batman Arkham Origins is our number two. So yeah, Arkham Origins, arguably the definitive version of uh you know the Arkham prequel following up on the amazing Arkham City uh armored edition I mean yeah a lot of people might think you know it's just Batman you're fighting Batman's enemies that's all I really need to know about the game but no like the whole backdrop the whole theme the whole setting is still Gotham yes but a very notably snowed over Gotham and everything is taking place the night before Christmas Day, which plays into quite a bit of what's going on. Yeah, I love the, I mean, the story setup of Arkham Origins. And again, I know a lot of people wrote Arkham Origins off because it wasn't Rocksteady, because it wasn't the legendary, the late Kevin Conroy doing the voice of Batman. Um, So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think that people consider it, you know, Kmart Arkham game or whatever. And that's fine. It's like we have Batman Arkham City at home and the Batman Arkham City at home is Arkham Origins. Like, I think a lot of people feel that way about it. But it's still a great game. It still has that classic Arkham gameplay. Runs well on Wii U. Probably, yeah, like you said, kind of the definitive edition of some of these games in a lot of ways because you had that Wii U gamepad functionality. Mm-hmm. And 
Arkham Origins, yeah, the entirety of Gotham City, nice and snowy the entire time, Christmas lights everywhere. Um, I really like the kind of simple story setup, just Black Mask's uh, bounty that is placed on Batman. He's like, hey, uh, all of you, the, the deadliest assassins of Gotham City, you know, I have a $50 million bounty on Batman's head. Go get him. And this is early in Batman's career. This is kind of a Batman year one story. And um, yeah, like it's it's just really good. And I think a lot of people not only write it off, but forget that it's a Christmas game. Like, not just a winter game, but a Christmas game. And to be completely honest with you, I think a lot of people forgot that the Wii U got Arkham Origins, Arkham City, the yep. Armored Edition, was, you know, a very notable Wii U game. And because of the uh, because of the augments with the touchscreen, there was a lot of praise and a lot of, there was a lot of praise for Arkham City, but not a lot of people knew that we got Arkham Origins on the Wii U. Certainly that's something I would never forget. Yeah, certainly that's something that I would never <laughs> of course, let of slip not. <laughs> my mind ever. Actually, fun fact: I bought like the two hundred dollar whatever Super Collector's Edition of Arkham Origins. It came with this fantastic, um, it came with this fantastic little diorama that had Black Mask stabbing a picture of Batman mm -hmm. into into a table because the whole thing is Black Mask set out a Christmas bounty. Yep. for Batman. And he had a bunch of Batman's enemies, Lady Shiva, the Electrocutioner, Deadshot, and a bunch of Batman's enemies showed up. Deathstroke, what a great fight that was. Mm -hmm. All vying for this bounty on Batman. So the big, cool like centerpiece of the, the massive Super Uber Collector's Edition was this really cool diorama of Black Mass stabbing a picture of the Dark Knight onto a table with a bunch of broken TVs behind him. Ironically enough, uh, that that figure contains a spoiler for the game. It can be augmented. It can be changed uh, a little bit, which turns out to be a little bit of a spoiler for the game. Ah, that's all I'm going to say. That's, that's all cool. I'm going to say. That's yeah, cool. it, it was really cool. But I I really dug Arkham Origins. No, it wasn't Arkham City, but I mean. Like Arkham City was basically licensed game Nirvana. There are many that still consider Arkham City the greatest licensed game of all time, and that's fair praise. Yeah, so I'm the still... games, so, yeah. So Arkham Origins isn't the greatest licensed game of all time. Don't discount it because of that. Right there, there are a lot of games that fall into this place where it's not made by the original. It's not quite as good as the original, but it's still good and worth your time. I think of yeah, you know, Bioshock Two, still a very good game. You know, I think of the the three four three Halo games, still good, not Bungie, but still good. You know, there there are these games that are worth your time. The Obsidian Fallout games, it's not Bethesda, but for me anyway, I like New Vegas more than the Bethesda Fallout games. So, you know, these games are still worth your time and worth noting also that while Mr. Freeze wasn't in the game properly, the first DLC, really the, the big like story DLC for that game was, oh, of course, yeah. Cold Cold Heart, you know, because of course I've... they did. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, my God. Everybody remembers the iconic boss fight with Mr. Freeze in Arkham City. Uh, that was a that was a boss fight that I unfortunately spoiled for myself a little bit. I really wish I hadn't, <laughs> but 
Yeah, it's, it's yeah, Mr. Freeze is so cool. I'm so glad they. I mean, how did they not work him into the main game? It's Mr. Freeze for heaven's sake. It's a great but game, man. I, I there, love there these lot, games. There was actually a lot of cool DLC. The costumes, oh my god, the costumes mm-hmm. in those Arkham games. Good lord, man! I was rocking the Batman Beyond costume. I had the the uh, the BTAS costume. I want these on Switch so badly. I, Dude. I so badly, please. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But before we get into our number one and reveal what could possibly be our number one, do we have some honorable mentions? Uh, we do have a few honorable mentions and it wasn't just, you know, family friendly games. Obviously we were just talking about Batman Arkham origins, but it wasn't just stuff like, you know, fun, lighthearted, fair, like Tropical Freeze and Cubicle or Cubicle and uh, Kickle Cubicle. You know, we did look, there were a couple fairly interesting wintry based horror games from Nintendo's past. And I will just very quickly shout out Cursed Mountain from the Wii U. So I never played um, this. I, I've, yeah. I've never, I think you showed me the box art and I'm like, oh, I remember seeing that yeah, box vague. art. <laughs> yeah. But I Cursed never Mountain played is it. one of the. Cursed Mountain is one of those games a lot of Nintendo fans wonder if they ever played back on the Wii. It was a passable but ultimately unremarkable horror game. But for the purpose of this list, its most notable uh, selling point was the fact that the entire game did take place, that it was uh, set on this massive Mount Everest-style Himalayan uh, iced-over mountain. It sounds like I, 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 you're telling me like it's fine, like nothing too great, but it's fine. And it was, it was fine, not quite, definitely wintry themed, but ultimately that plus the quality wasn't quite enough to to really crack the top five. In addition to that, another thing that those exact words could be said about is, I am Setsuna. Yeah, another game that was fine. <laughs> a switch launch title right yep a nintendo switch launch title and uh one of the first games that i played on the switch i played Bomberman, then i played breath of the wild but very quickly after the nintendo switch came out i played i am setsna and it was it was basically if chrono trigger happened in the snow and wasn't quite as good yeah. Oh, not yeah. Not even. I mean, it's it's not even close to Chrono Trigger. It was trying really hard, but um, it was trying <laughs> really hard. But it's it's like a totally fine, serviceable game. You know, I, I always say like maybe the most aptly named video game developer on planet Earth is Tokyo RPG Factory, which is the yeah. developer of I Am Setsuna, because these games really do feel like they're made by a Tokyo RPG Factory. <laughs> it's just missing a little bit of that heart, charm, character. But hey, to take nothing away from the fact that it is, yeah, the entire game is beset by snow the theme of the game is like sadness and winter and stuff so yeah i mean it's worth shouting out for that reason and if nothing else yeah it definitely qualifies for the list it's (laughs) unlike most rpgs this one happens entirely in a winter backdrop like you never change biomes you never get to any other type of area even the beaches are covered in snow what few there are it's just this massive winter wasteland. It's honestly kind of drab and depressing. Maybe one of the reasons. It intentionally didn't feel like it had. so. Yeah. yeah intentionally maybe so. Maybe one I of think. the reasons it didn't feel like it had a lot of personality. Yeah. But still, I mean, 
it was it was fine. It was also fine. Yeah. I want to shout out um, a game that I've mentioned recently on the show. This game, Year Walk, which unfortunately couldn't make the list because you can't currently play it. It was um, it was on Wii U and it's been since delisted. You can still play it on delisted. Steam. Yeah, you can still play it on Steam and you can play it on mobile, but you can't play it on your Wii U anymore, unfortunately. I hope they bring it to Switch. Made by Simogo, the Sinar Wild Hearts developers. Yeah. And, uh, great game. I really love that game. Um, I also real quick wanted to, I actually haven't played these, but they came up in research and I didn't want to get, um, actually like we did, uh, this past week with our legendary snub, uh, from oh. last week's top five, <laughs> which was my singular shame that I forgot Dis- Gusashi. Yeah. I forgot Gusashi from, uh, <laughs> from, from our, rocket slime, from rocket slime for our top five Nintendo ninjas <laughs> that I, I've never hated myself more than that moment when Matt called us out for that. Um, so in the service of not being, I'm Clearly actually the greatest ninja in Nintendo history. Clearly yeah, the greatest ninja. It, it, it was top five where it was a snub. It was for sure a snub. Um, but I did want to make sure that we at least mentioned the long dark and Frostpunk, which I know are both critically acclaimed games that are on the Nintendo switch, but I haven't personally played them. Uh, we did play Lost Winds 2 back in the day, though. Yeah, we did. Lost Winds 2, Winter of the Melodias. These these games were great, and you can actually get them Dude, on yeah. Steam. I would love for Switch ports of these. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the whole thing about Lost Winds was they very much used the Wii remotes. They mm-hmm. used the, the cursor and uh, pointing the Wii remotes at the screen to manipulate uh, the, the elements. And still, with the touchscreen and with uh, the dual joysticks... You could manipulate. You could very easily manipulate a cursor on screen with the Nintendo Switch. So I do hope that those come. Uh, we've actually talked about this. We might have even put it as an honorable mention in yeah. our collections that need to happen list. That that sounds right. Yeah, we've definitely talked about Lost Winds on the yeah. show before. Yeah, yeah. One of the standout WiiWare titles. There was a couple of really good ones out there, but they were definitely a standout WiiWare title that you should check out. If you have the opportunity, uh, if you have a Steam account, yeah, for sure. Um, shout out to SnowRunner, the weird yeah. get your eighteen wheelers unstuck from the snow simulator, which <laughs> a lot of people love, and it weirdly has like a ton of DLC. I didn't so. know how big this game was, dude. This game has like five season passes. It's got like eighty pieces of DLC. This game was kind of a, a little bit of a big deal. Per Schneider from NVC, uh, IGN's Nintendo voice chat, he loves it. Like, I think he put it as one of his favorite games of whatever year it came out. Like, he loves the game. So. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. All these weird simulators, man. You got Cooking Simulator and, you know, Football Manager Simulator and, you know, Flight Simulator. All these weird, really slow paced simulators that. I guess it's just one of those kind of turn your brain off things or something. I don't know. I don't know if I could ever play games like that, but if you love it, genuinely happy for you. And I do just want to shout out uh, one last little from Drakneck, a little puzzle game called a good snowman is hard to build. Really interesting little puzzle game where you play through a bunch of little puzzle situations where you are trying to roll up snowballs within a certain area, trying to navigate around this area to push the snowballs in a certain direction to build them of differing heights to then move them into each other to then create a snowman. It's 
it sounds really simple and it is, but the way it's designed and the way the snow plots are set and the way uh, your path is blocked creates some, some really deceptively interesting puzzles within this game. But ultimately the entire point is to build a snowman and here's the key point and then hug it. Ah, that is key. That is worth remembering. Yeah. So somebody make sure to at, can you pet the snowman on Twitter? Yeah, and hopefully, uh, if Bonta Avond is to be believed, we should be getting everybody Wham Wham on the Switch next year. So, yeah. hopefully, hopefully this time next year we'll be playing everybody Wham Wham on Switch. <laughs> but speaking of playing in the snow, our number one might not be, again, it might not be the most critically acclaimed Nintendo game of all time, but... If you think about things that you would love to do in the winter, have snowball fights, go ice skating, play hockey, go skiing. When it comes to our number one, it might just be conceptually, at least, the most perfect winter game in Nintendo history. Our number one is Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games. I know that's weird. I know a lot of people are like, huh? Like, what? How is that number one? But, like, think about it for a second. I mean, this was a prolific franchise, a franchise that brought these legendary rivals, longtime rivals, together on Nintendo platforms. And this version, like, we started with Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. Then we got the Olympic Winter Games. I think we got a couple of these. Yeah, we had Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games for Vancouver in 2010. And then we got a follow-up in 2014 for the Sochi Winter Games. Yep. Yep, so we've had a couple of these winter games specifically, and yeah, I mean, these are, I've admittedly, I've never played them, but these are prolific, you know, entirely winter-based games. I mean, all of these mini-games are, they're Olympic winter games. It's in the winter. Honestly, when I think about things that I would love to do with my family, or if I'm trying to get within the holiday spirit, or if I want to go out and play in the snow... This game has all of the activities that I would want to do. We did add that caveat at the beginning that these don't necessarily need to be the greatest, most critically acclaimed games of all time. And to be fair, the Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games franchise is not. But again, conceptually, this game allows you to get into snow fights. It allows you to go skiing and curling and ski jumping and snowboarding and play hockey. Everything that you would want to do in a winter game, it it's here. You have kind of the normal variants, and then you've even got like the dream event variants where they turn the, the downhill skiing and the downhill snowboarding and downhill ice racing into Mario Kart style races where you can actually, there's uh boost pads and you can pick up items like shells and hurl them at your opponent just like in mario kart they have a full arcade style hockey engine built in with both normal and you know dream like super arcade variants again they've got curling which they have a dream variant that turns it into this weird uh bowling style minigame almost like the special bowling from nintendo switch sports and they've got you know, all these classic venues from both the Mario and Sonic franchises. And you've got these insane rivals when, especially when these games were being released in the mid two thousands, that Nintendo Sega rivalry, that Mario and Sonic rivalry was still fairly fresh in people's minds. 
Mario and Sonic, when these games started coming out, were still like among the biggest rivalries in video games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the it's funny now because like Sonic is more of a Nintendo franchise than anything else at this point. But you know, <laughs> that was it was a legendary, you know, rivalry when we were kids. I was actually, I was reading on the wiki for this. Apparently, if you play during the month of December, like if your system clock is in December, just Santa Claus will be there in the background <laughs> when you play, which is kind of funny. <laughs> the The 2010 Vancouver game had a DS port, which yeah. was... You know, I, I would definitely recommend the console game, I think. But the DS port actually had a weird story mode where Bowser and Eggman were trying to melt all the snow and you had to collect snow spirits to thwart their evil plans because <laughs> Mario and Sonic. <laughs> but yeah, if they could if they could really nail the Olympic Games franchise, it could be among the best mini game collections in video games. And again, when you're talking about winter and summer, these are games that you're you're basically making to be recommendable for, for people to play during these seasons. When it comes summer, you want people to think it's like, oh, we got to put back in Mario and Sonic at the Summer Olympic Games. When winter comes around, people should be saying, man, you know, we should pop back in the Nintendo Switch. Mario and Sonic at the Winter Olympic Games. Let's, you know, have some snowball fights and play some ice hockey and do some ski jumps throughout Mario Galaxy, which you could actually do in the Vancouver game in 2010, which was amazing. Yeah, that sounds pretty legit. I mean, they're and look, they're still making them. The, the most recent Mario and Sonic games, uh, Olympic Games game, uh, actually has a couple of interesting distinctions, um, chiefly that it is based on the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which didn't happen. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't do to COVID. And it's still called the Tokyo 2020 Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. And it was the last game to ever be developed by uh, Alpha Dream before uh, alpha dream got shut down. So yeah, it's got a couple of little, it's an interesting historical landmark there, Mario and Sonic. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, it's still a cool franchise having Mario and Sonic together to participate in these legendary events is still a cool concept. So I hope I do actually hope we wind up seeing an Olympic winter games, Mario and Sonic follow-up at some point. Uh, it would be, like, it would definitely be a game I would want to play come winter season. But it wouldn't surprise us if some of you all out there felt some type of way about some of our list placements. So let us know what you think the greatest or the best wintry-based Nintendo games in Nintendo history are. Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Let us know your favorite games to play this winter season. And I was really trying, Seth, but honestly, talking about it didn't really make me cold. It didn't really bring any chills over. It didn't yeah. really make me feel like it was in cold weather. I still feel like I'm down here in Florida. But yeah, I hear you. I mean, you know what? Since I'm here in Florida, something that is actually kind of a Christmas tradition down here is going to the beach. Because more often than not, it's warm enough to go to the beach on Christmas Day. But thankfully... I might not be the only one this week going to the beach. 
Yeah, I mean, we certainly have a, an indie game that we shouted out in our notable releases earlier that came out this past week, a game that we have been playing quite a lot of. And yeah, there's kind of beach vibes, kind of certainly a lot of water. And uh, it's a it's a game that we have been looking forward to chatting about for a long time. Um, so let's chat about it. Our indie showcase this week is Wavetail. Yeah, so Wavetail from Thunderful Games released this past week on the Nintendo Switch. Previously, Seth, a Stadia exclusive. And we do have to mm -hmm. thank Thunderful Games for providing us a review copy. We've actually had a couple weeks to play this title already. Yeah, yeah, we've been playing it for a little while. There's a video on the YouTube channel of the first eh, 30, 40 minutes or so if you want to kind of get a vibe for what the game is like and how it runs on the Nintendo Switch. But we did, you know, after playing it, we, we've both rolled credits. We've seen the, the, the full scope of the story. We did feel like it was worthy of its own proper indie showcase discussion. We did, yes. A uh, few reasons that it's, I mean, even outside of the obvious couple reasons it's been on, been on our minds uh, this past week, which we'll get into a little bit later. But even just on its own merits, I really dug what Thunderful was going with this title. You play as this young girl named Sigrid, essentially in <laughs> Waterworld. <laughs> if you've ever Basically, seen yeah. that old Kevin Costner <laughs> movie, Waterworld, this is kind of what you're playing is the entire world has flooded the few remaining vestiges of humanity have created little micro civilizations for each uh for themselves on these little atolls these little plots of land they can find or sometimes just out on the water they take what little wood or resources they can find and create these you know, kind of interestingly designed little micro civilizations. I really dig the setting of this game. There's just something about this, this world that they've created. I, I like a lot of the characters. I like, uh, again, just the setting of Wavetail. It feels like a world that would be incredibly interesting to actually explore IRL. Yeah, it's got a... A really nice sense of like, yeah, world building and sort of feeling like you're being thrust into this world and these characters and stuff. There's this because it is a post apocalypse. You know, this is um, this is a world that is beset upon all of this water. There's these, you know, this dark force, the, the gloom and the dirty paws and stuff like that <laughs> that are, you know, sort of talked about as if you should already know what they are. And I kind of like that. Like I, I yeah. sort of like that feeling in games where there's not, it doesn't stop and like give you exposition or anything like that. You learn about this stuff naturalistically as you explore this world as secret and, you know, talking with her grandmother and, and learning about this stuff. Even something as small as, you know, a character moment, like your grandmother describing what an apple was like, you know, yeah. is really cool. <laughs> Are those the orange ones? No, right. those those are oranges, honey. But yeah, I I completely agree with you. So often the game feels like it just kind of has to stop cold turkey and be like, okay, here's everything that's going on. It's well, Wavetail at the very least has enough faith in the player to be able to put together what's going on from the copious amount of context clues that you're given throughout the course of the game. And even outside of just, you know, the world building, I think one of the things that helps with that is the fact that in addition to the world, the characters that inhabit this world are 
you know, fairly three-dimensional for a, you know, fairly small indie title. I know Thunderful is getting very big at this point, but I was honestly kind of expecting fairly run-of-the-mill character development for this, but a lot of the characters are not just three-dimensional, but well-performed. The voice acting in the game is pretty well done. It matches the aesthetic of the game incredibly well. I was very impressed with that. Me too. Yeah, the um the aesthetic is this sort of like not quite cell shaded kind of somewhere between like uh like like it definitely has like this cartoony look to it, especially with the the characters' faces just look like moving yeah, drawing textures. Exactly. Yeah, the 3D models themselves are not necessarily low poly. There's definitely a style there. But yeah, the faces and a couple of the other assets in the game just look like kind of these animated 2D, you know, drawings, almost like flipbook drawings. Yeah, which is which is cool because it does give it like kind of um kind of like a Cartoon Network and Adventure Time kind of vibe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, which um which is kind of strengthened. I it was funny. I I pointed out Sigurd's voice actor. If you if you watch my video, uh, I pointed out the voice actor right away. Her name is Mackenzie <laughs> Atwood, and she um she's actually worked a lot with Cartoon Network. And the way that I uh know her is she used to do the Steven Universe podcast the official Steven Universe podcast. She was the host of it for many years. So I've heard a lot of her voice. So I knew right away that it was her. So it just sort of strengthens like that Cartoon Network sort of vibe. The uh, voice actress that plays the grandmother, I think is is really, you know, well done. It's it's yeah. all really good. Yeah. I, I really don't have too many bad things to say. I, well, when it comes to indie games like this, we do allow for a certain amount of, I guess, lack of polish. And mm-hmm. admittedly, that is still here. This game isn't going to look as impressive as a lot of the AAA titles that you're going to see on the Nintendo Switch. But there is a certain charm going on here. If you're looking for technical specs in the visual presentation of this game, you're not going to find it. But if you allow this world to show itself to you, I think you'll dig it. Yeah, I, I think a big part of like it's strengthened by how desolate this world sort of has to feel. So it doesn't have like a lot to look at, but that's also kind of the point. Um, and I think probably my favorite thing about the game, cause it's pretty early on, uh, Sigurd is confronted with this shadowy sort of creature in the water called mm-hmm. the shadow that allows Sigurd to basically, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that allows Sigurd to walk on the water and, the the shadow essentially is just like like she connects her feet with the feet of the shadow and everybody's very scared of this but secret is like finally i have some freedom you know being the sort of angsty teen you know but who cares no big deal i want more sort of character that she is um she is able to walk on water surf along the water dive in and jump out of the water and that's probably my favorite part of the game is just how good it feels yeah. to navigate the world yeah uh, narratively speaking, Sigrid's grandmother is incredibly hesitant for her to get out on the water, to leave the confines and the safety of their island. But, you know, because out on the water, that's where all the gloom is. And mm-hmm. then the, the legendary dirty paws and all the dangers of the world are outside of home, you know, metaphor. But, but once you do get out on the water, yeah, it's... you. It's incredibly interesting, incredibly unique movement scheme. 
because the vast majority of the land, quote unquote, the vast majority of the traversable area in this game is water. But you are essentially given this superpower at the beginning in the form of your 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 bond with this shadow who allows you to skate kind of like Iceman almost from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was honestly one of the first things I thought of. Sigrun can just kind of glide across the water effortlessly, almost like she's Iceman from Marvel. And she can do these incredibly satisfying boost jumps. She's got a double jump. She's got an air dash. She can glide. Once you get a handle on the movement suite of this game, just getting from place to place, just traversing throughout the game is honestly one of my favorite parts. I would... There are obvious differences, but in terms of the feel of the movement and how satisfying it is, I would honestly kind of compare it to Spider-Man. A little bit, yeah. It it reminded me, there's a game, it's not on Switch, but there's a game on PlayStation called Solar Ash that this game reminds me a lot of. Yeah. Um, Just the, the, that sort of like free flowing movement, getting places very, very quickly, just sort of carving through the open environment. It reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. And just getting from place to place and the, a lot of the design, the level design and the world design does allow for quite a bit of that, allows for quite a bit of experimentation, allows for quite a bit of leeway when it comes to getting to where you want to go. There are something resembling intended methods for how to get to A to B most of the time, but you'll find once you master Sigrid's movements uh, suite that there's a lot of little shortcuts and a lot of little exploits that you can take advantage of throughout the course of the game. And (laughs) I don't really consider myself a speed runner necessarily. I don't really consider myself somebody who's always looking for sequence breaks or anything like that, but it was really cool when I was like, Oh, I think I, I think I accidentally did something really good. I think I may have skipped something there. I think I may have been too good at playing the game for a second. Yeah, I think the game in general is um, pretty easy, and and I yeah. wonder how much of that is a holdover from uh, from it being like a, a previously Stadia exclusive. Like when you when you're playing a game that is built around you know cloud streaming or whatever, you kind of want to give the player a lot of wiggle room. So Sigrid can use her basically uh, her attacks and like her her main movement kit is tied around not just the shadow for for movement on the water. But things like the glide you're talking about, things like basic attacks are done with her like net weapon that she's holding. (laughs) This impossibly versatile net that she has. Which is also like a hook shot. (laughs) And it's (laughs) so (laughs) she she is somehow able to spin it so fast. It gives a helicopter effect. It somehow is able to hook. I had no clue why it's somehow able to shoot out and hook onto hook points and the little collectible pieces of currency in the game. It's somehow sturdy enough and effective enough as a melee weapon to take out all the enemies in the game. This is maybe the most powerful net since a link to the past. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good. And it does allow you a lot of leeway to do things like kind of course correct a little bit. Like you don't, you don't have to worry too much 
about like extreme platforming challenge or movement challenge or anything like that in this game because if you do mess up it's really likely that you have a way to sort of reorient yourself with that with that hook shot and there are a lot of like not just enemies but like kind of big set pieces that involve uh, utilizing that to sort of continue chaining your movement or your way to get to weak points on a boss or whatever. Yeah. So. And when it comes to like chaining stuff together, the world is actually pretty impressively big when it comes yeah. to just the overall land mass or water mass of the area. So you will spend a fairly, you will spend a not inconsiderable amount of time just going from place to place, going from point A to point B, gliding along the water to your next main objective. But they do make things fairly interesting. They do allow you to play with the movement suite in a couple of different ways. Pretty often across the water, you'll run into these little micro playgrounds akin to something like Sonic the Hedgehog. You'll run Mm -hmm. into these little pipes or uh, glide rails or hook points that will make just getting from point A to point B a lot more interesting. And you'll get a couple of little, you know, I don't even know what they were really called. These little spark, little mini spark pieces of currency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I you'll know get the, a few the big of those ones are for sparks, your trouble. But, yeah. The big yeah. ones are sparks, but there are also smaller uh, denominations of the currency in the game. So, you know, you'll run around hook uh, on some hook points, chain a few of those, get through a little half pipe, grind rail type section and almost like something meets Sonic meets Spider-Man meets Tony Hawk or something. Yeah. Yeah. It just, and it just feels good. Like in, in a game, the the structure of the game would, would not work if it didn't feel so good to, to skate on the water and stuff like that, but it, but it does. And so that really helps you along. Now, Sigurd is going to come across enemies throughout the course of this game, and the combat is extraordinarily simplistic. Like, What are you, what are you this... talking about, Seth? What are you talking about? You have so many options for combat. You can either mash the Y button, or you can mash the X button. So many options. I'm sorry, I'm being a sarcastic jerk. I apologize. <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very, very simple. Um, and, you know, I, I made this comparison to you. It reminds me a lot of, like, kind of PS2 action platformers. You're kind of in that, like, Jack and Daxter kind of space, you know, where, you know, again, there's there's not a lot to it. It's fine. You don't have to do it all that often, which is nice. Like, you'll have, you know, a handful of these gloom enemies, which are essentially these, like, spiders. There's not a whole ton of enemy variety or anything like that. There are a few different types yeah. of gloom enemies. But, yeah, you just, like, whack them a bunch and, and they die. And that's, like, about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I didn't die once. Uh, You'll wind up getting hit, but like no joke, just mashing the attack button. Either or will do, to be completely honest with you. If you just mash the Y button or the X button, you know, you know, change it up sometime. Just just add some variety. But just mashing one of the attack buttons will be more than sufficient to beat whatever combat situation you're in. You can stun enemies uh, basically indefinitely as long as you're hitting them. And I mean, I mean, yeah, the combat, the combat in the game does really come off as an afterthought. Not only are there only two types of attacks, light and heavy attacks, to be fair, you can also do a ground smash if you really want to get bougie with it. Mm-hmm. But there aren't any upgrades for the attacks. There aren't any extra combos that you can get. You're basically just 
whacking with the light attack or whacking with the heavy attack. There's enough combat in there to break up the platforming at least, but it was clear that that was the combat was not a focal point of this game. So if you're somebody that really thrives on satisfying combos and really beefing up your character with new combat options, this isn't going to be the type of game for you. This really isn't the type of game that it is. Sigrid's not really about combat. She does it because she has to. And because of that, it is very rudimentary. Yeah. And and again, I I have to imagine a lot of these design decisions were made with the simplicity of cloud streaming and the stadia in mind. So I, I do try to keep that in mind mm-hmm. with, with this game. I it kind of had to be simplistic, but you know, you're going to have these little kind of like mini areas of the game where you have to solve some like navigational puzzles or get to certain places or whatever, collect these little, you know, pieces of spark currency, activate a switch, maybe do some like very, very light puzzle solving. You know, it's just a simple game it goes down smooth i agree with you i didn't die once you know i had no issues whatsoever the entire time it it was just like yeah it just it just it gave me no real trouble i did encounter a couple of bugs oh Um, yes oh yes those are definitely there uh yeah i didn't die either uh you can you do have life but honestly the life regenerates faster than you'll probably lose it right Uh, yeah but yeah, and, and talking about the bugs, though, that's probably my biggest knock against the game is nothing mm-hmm. necessarily anything game breaking. But I did run into a couple momentary teleport glitches. I did run into admittedly a little bit more jank in the platforming, some of the navigational puzzles you were talking about. I did run mm-hmm. into a little bit more jank than I thought there should have been. Ideally, you want to have no jank, but again, you know, we give people a little bit of leeway, a little bit of benefit of the doubt, but there is a little bit more jank in there than I would like to see. Yeah. Well, especially in like in, in big set pieces and and another thing to, to note, well, two things really to note a, we're playing the Nintendo switch version of the game. So I'm, I'm sure that in terms of like performance, there's some, you know, big overall, the game runs totally solidly. Actually, better than I thought it would for it being as big as it is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, for the most part, it's pretty solid in terms of its frame rate, but there are some big set piece moments where it does kind of chug a little bit. It definitely, it definitely has some issues. Um, and then B, we should also mention, we played this game in pre-release form. So, um, I don't know if it got like some sort of, you know, day one patch or, you know, um, first week patch or something like that, that cleaned up some of these, fixed some of these bugs. So we should just be transparent about this. Um, but yeah, I mean like by and large, totally fine, simple, no issues. The real selling point for, for this game for me is the sort of open world and the way you engage with it and the characters and the story. I actually really liked the way the game ended. Like I thought it had a really good, like honest ending with the characters that made me actually really interested in a sequel and I hope they do one. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed like kind of where the story went and like how the characters developed. It's, it's the rare game where like a lot of games struggle as it goes on to, to sort of maintain that momentum. But I really did like the way this wrapped up. It was pretty good. It's one of those games. I could absolutely see this being turned into like an animated movie or something. Yeah, little animated like short series or something like that maybe yeah. would be cool. Yeah. I can see that. 
I, I did encounter my, my fair share of like little bugs, little yep. jank. Like I have this perpetual issue where if there was like a boat, they would be like bouncing on the waves. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah you saw that too. too much. Yeah. <laughs> like to the, to the like point where it was pretty, toy. it was real bad. Yeah. There, um, there's actually, so there's this like merchant, um, that you Mr. can spend Bain. these. Yeah, these these little like p- these currency, you know, sparks that you're picking up, you can use them to buy a ton of aesthetics. So, you can get new clothes for Sigrid, new hair for Sigrid, hair color options, uh hats. I mean, there's got to be like 100 aesthetic choices in the Probably. game. There's a there's, lot. There's a ridiculous amount of aesthetic options. You have hats, you have hair colors, and you have just her overall outfit Mm -hmm. and you have a couple dozen options for each there's a lot more and it's good because those are admittedly the only thing in the game that you get to spend the currency on like i said earlier there's no real upgrades for cigarette everything that you can do in the game you essentially have access to within the first half hour or so her entire movement suite her remedial attacks everything that you can do you're given almost immediately so i was trying to figure out you know i've been collecting this currency the entire time what am I going to spend it on? And then you get access to Mr. Bane's shop. You meet the character very early on in the title. And it turns out that he sells you all these little weird knickknacks and clothing options that you get. But the best thing by far, the best thing about Mr. Bane is every time you go to him, he tells you an awesome nautically themed <laughs> dad joke. Hey, Seth, hey, Seth, hey, Seth. <laughs> How do pirates measure distance? Uh, how how is it what do they do in yards <laughs> yeah he's always got some sort of pirate nautical dad joke for you which is i great. love I that so much it's it's the characters They're yeah, great. It's, it's those little touches there's a lot of characters that you'll only have a couple little one-off interactions with there are actually a couple side quests in the game yep. there are a couple characters who are looking for you to, to pick something up. A lot of them are just little fetch quests. If you're out running around, you might run into a, a collectible item that is uh, <laughs> that is always going to be for one of the side quests that you can get. And you don't ever get anything more than a couple little pieces of currency for it. But you've got some of these little fetch quests and you've got a couple little races that you can take part in. There's some interesting little side stuff that you can do, but there are a lot of characters and they, you, you meet them and you fill out this admittedly really cool journal. Yeah. Um, I do like the journal. The main menu is set up as, you know, it's certainly not the first game to do this, but it's set up as a wonderful little journal slash scrapbook for Ingrid. And there is a collectible that allows you to find more of the lore of the game, which is really interesting because Again, a lot of what is done makes the world seem really cool. So actually finding the extra little pieces of lore and filling out that scrapbook, I thought was really satisfying. And it allowed me to learn even more about this adorable little world that they've created. Every character that you meet and save from the gloom fills out this scrapbook even more. And yeah, just uh, all these really cool little touches. This game is a couple performance patches away from being really like a premier B-grade 3d action platformer because there's a lot of really cool ideas here you've got again just the movement just the movement is so unique and so interesting just that alone makes me want to see it expanded upon in another game yeah it's it's a great like first entry in what i hope is a a really cool like ongoing series i just want to see 
Wave Tale 2, same world, same characters, keep the story going, but like expand everything. Like give me a skill tree for Sigrid. Give me, you know, just more to do with the currency. Because admittedly, like for me, I didn't really care that much to engage with the aesthetic like stuff because I just yeah. liked Sigrid's basic design. So like if you don't like that, yeah, there are a lot of like side quests and things to do, but your reward is just more currency to spend on more aesthetic stuff. So, you know, I, I was basically just doing it for completion at that yeah. point. I got um, them just because I, I like I got the money. I might as well buy yeah. a couple things. So I bought like a little pirate hat and a couple extra little costumes. And uh, you you unlock dozens more over the course of the game as you complete the main missions. But yeah, the, those are fun. The the few boss battles I did really like. The, there's only a couple boss battles in the game. Well, three real boss encounters mm -hmm. in the game, but I did really, really like those encounters. I thought they were very fun and really interesting. The 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 first two, the the character that you meet, I don't even really know what to call it, but I thought it was a great, like colossal type right. of of enemy. It uh, really gives you a sense of scale for this massive world that is just all ocean and gloom you have an appropriately threatening enemy looming over all of it despite the fact that the game itself isn't really going to give you too much of a hard time the character itself and the big bads that loom over everything i thought were very appropriate Mm hmm. Yeah, I liked him a lot, too. I thought the music was good. I did think it, the, the mix actually for the audio was a little bit weird. I felt like that's and fair. I, I, I mentioned this um, when I was doing the video, like I actually had to go in and like turn the music down because like the, the music sometimes can actually be like way too loud, like overpowering some of the dialogue and stuff. And that was a little bit weird, but um, but overall, like, yeah, it's, it's good music. It's a simple game. It's only going to take you maybe four or five hours to get through, um, to be completely honest. Now the game's $29.99. Yeah, it is a bit expensive. That's a high price considering what this game is. And and when I say like five hours, like you're probably going to 100% this game in like five hours. It's there, there's not like that much you know, in terms of like dollar to gameplay hours. So if that's a prohibitive price point to you, I do understand. Um, it is still totally recommendable. Wishlist it, whatever you want to do. If you don't want to buy it at $29.99, I do get it. But it is worth your time. It is worth playing. And if they do end up uh, making Wavetail 2, I'm all about it. I, I am too. Absolutely on board. I am too. I'm all about, like, you know me, Seth. I love these, these B-grade 3D action platformer collectathons. Mm -hmm. I'm all about these and I'm so glad that not necessarily that the stadia folded, but I'm glad that we were finally able to get this one from the, the exclusive clutches of Google's machine. So yeah, guys, we, we hope at some point you decide to check out way actually speaking of waves. Uh, that's one of the coolest things, honestly, about the game is the fact that the water, because you traverse a big ocean, the water itself is constantly undulating. It's constantly waving. And mm -hmm. I don't know, for me, that just helped with how satisfying it was to glide over top of, of everything. I just felt that the actual organic feel of the ocean itself, you know, this may seem hoity-toity. This may seem, oh, he's pushing his glasses up his nose, but it almost felt like the water itself, the ocean itself was a character. 
But if you decide to check out Wavetail, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, on Twitter, and let us know what you think of Thunderful Games' brand new 3D action platformer on the Nintendo Switch. And, I mean, we kind of had to talk about this game in the Indie Showcase this week, Seth, just because we went somehow an entire Indie Showcase without drawing the obvious direct comparisons but there's a reason for that because turns out a very similar game to Wavetail, an iconic game from Nintendo's past, is celebrating a milestone anniversary this week. Yeah, this week saw the 20th anniversary of The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, uh, one of the very best games on GameCube that, you know, again, Wavetail uh, takes clear inspiration yeah. from, very yeah. evocative of. Yeah, if you're if you're a Wind Waker fan, have Wavetail on your radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But we're here. We're talking about Wavetail. Again, very Wind Waker-inspired game. It's a 20th anniversary, man. You know what that means. It's time to give this classic game a full, all-in retrospective. The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker, released on December 13th, 2002, originally in Japan, for the Nintendo GameCube. Yes, we are here celebrating, I can't believe it, but 20 years of Wind Waker here on the show. That makes, I I just... No, 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 (laughs) Seth. Seth, what we are truly celebrating is 20 years of shame. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. I'm a fraud. (laughs) I am a hack. I am a Nintendo charlatan. I have a confession to make, ladies and gentlemen. All in Eric has never played Wind Waker. Dun dun dun! Everybody just everybody just clicked off the podcast now. Unsubscribe. Yeah. How unsubscribe? <laughs> How dare you? Yes. Unfortunately, there are still precious few first-party Nintendo games throughout the big end's history that, for one reason or another, I just have not gotten to yet. I I really hope to rectify that at some point, especially because like just the story of this game and the journey that this game has taken is so remarkably interesting. It's such a bizarre game. Uh just from you know, the, just just from the odyssey of public perception that it's taken over oh, the yeah. course of the past 20 years. Ironically enough, the journey of this game technically began a year or two before the game was even revealed. The public opinion journey of this game began a couple of years before the game was even revealed because coming off of the Nintendo 64, coming off of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, two games that are still regarded as two of the greatest, not just adventure games, but games of all time. How was Nintendo possibly going to follow that up? And we got ever the smallest, slightestest, teensiest tease of that at Space World 2000. 
Yeah, Space World was a uh, sort of expo that Nintendo frequently showed things at. Um, and yeah, we got a little clip, kind of a famous clip at this point, um, that mm-hmm. looked like it would be the sort of darker, grittier, more HD-ified version of Ocarina of Time. I mean, it really d- did look like um, a, a direct follow-up kind of in line with what people loved uh, about Ocarina of Time. And I, I feel like Zelda in this sort of period of its life, um, had a lot of this going on. Ocarina of Time came out and Zelda went from being, you know, an an instantly iconic franchise for Nintendo to being something that was revolutionary. Ocarina of Time completely changed the game. And so to follow that up with something as weird as Majora's Mask, yes, of course, it was still well-reviewed and everything, but Majora's Mask is like a weird, divisive game, definitely left of center from what we sort of had established with Ocarina of Time. So... I think a lot of people saw this and they said, oh, great. Like, I'm getting some of the Zelda that I love again. I'm getting just a prettier version of the thing that I already loved with Ocarina of Time. And so it's very interesting that the game that followed up Majora's Mask was not that at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It's Space World 2000. We got about a about a 30-second clip of what was very clearly an Ocarina-style Link and Ganon having a pretty epic little sword fight within, uh, I guess it was Castle Hyrule, mm-hmm. within some type of castle-like structure. They were having this, fight, this sword fight to the death, and there was all this dim lighting around them. Link and Ganon were very clearly their, their OOT versions. Uh, and everybody was super excited because it looks so crisp and the animations look so fluid and everybody was super stoked to see the actual game reveal. And then boo, at least that's what everybody said day one when they saw whatever in the world Link was going to turn into. Nobody had a clue. All of a sudden, Link is coming out looking like just this weird cell-shaded blob. Looked completely unrecognizable from the Space World 2000 footage. Looked almost unrecognizable as a video game. Yeah, I mean, it It looks like a cartoon, right? Yeah, nobody had any clue how to take this all we knew is this was going to be the follow-up the gamecube iteration of the legend of zelda but looking at the footage initially to say that the reactions were mixed would actually be a very let's just say flowery assessment of the situation yeah there was a lot i mean anybody who was playing this game back when it came out i know because i remember and i want to call out everybody in school who made fun of me for playing this because i it was relentless there's a lot of revisionist history about wind waker now everybody loves it now but that was not the case 20 years ago no not at all i had a lot of people making fun of me come over here and play you know halo and call of duty and i played those games too but when my friends found out that i was playing wind waker it was a baby game it was Zelda. what is this you know so i got a lot of flack (laughs) see yeah that's that's a perfect point is because you got the PlayStation 2 and you got the Xbox, which were doubling down on the maturing video game landscape. The people who'd grow, uh, who had grown up with the Nintendo were now becoming adults and they wanted more mature video games. They wanted their characters to grow up with them. 
And when you have Microsoft and you have Sony coming out and producing a lot of this really mature content, to see Nintendo do a complete 180 and run a 100 miles an hour in the opposite direction was, yes, in hindsight, completely on brand for them. But it was still such a jarring departure from the evolution the style evolution that we had come to expect over the past 10 years from the franchise, it looked entirely different than the Zelda games, even the, the, the handheld Zelda games that we were getting. A lot of the handheld Zelda games were following a lot of the link to the past links awakening style uh, motifs and, and, and visual uh, flair stuff like uh, Oracle of ages and Oracle of season. Perfect example of that. But then all of a sudden, you get Toon Link, and people were just lining up to bash this new direction that Nintendo was taking. I I genuinely don't remember seeing any positive assessments of for, from journalists or, or gaming outlets on what was going on with Wind Waker at the time. I mean, there there definitely was, but the the problem is is that as is always the case, the negative voices are the loudest. You know. Um, yeah, that's and, fair. and the game came out and it, and it had rave reviews and critical nines and tens and, and all of this. And, and like, it got great <laughs> reception, you know, see, that's the thing at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, it was still a Zelda game when it came out. It's, it's an amazing game. It's near the top of my favorite Zelda games. And it's funny because for as much, uh, for as much derision as it saw for the art style, I mean, the reason they, they went with this style is because to be completely frank, like the team was bored. The team was bored of the Ocarina of Time style. They, they felt creatively bankrupt. They're like, we don't have any ideas of what this has been there, done that for us. We don't want to just make prettier Ocarina of Time, you know? And I think that had they went the direction of the Space World demo, then you probably would have got a less interesting game as the end result. So they went a complete 180. Um, one of the designers drew up, you know, this this kind of like Toon Link style that we all know and love. Link is a, is younger now, and it has this very striking, hard line anime style that was cheaper to develop for as well because the the game engine was not as strenuous as trying to find something that was going to look photorealistic or whatever to the specifications of the GameCube. Um, but they they had to kind of develop it like in secret for a little while. Like there was worry from Aonuma and Aonuma said that he was worried that Miyamoto was going to push back harder than he ended up doing uh, with the cartoon style. And even within Nintendo, there was skepticism from the producers, from people like Miyamoto. And they, they did push back on it a little bit. Um, ended up going ahead with it, of course, but like there's this, and it almost comes through in the game. There's this like vibe of like, unshackling yourself from the past that kind of comes through in the game and that you can feel was part of the development as well. Let's not be beholden to this amazing thing we made before. We need to embrace the new. We need to do something different, something creative, and something that energizes us. And that's what Wind Waker is. Almost like how Numa himself said it, Seth. And so we get to this release and yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, there's Zelda being thrown around and stuff and this is all happening, but the game itself is, is fantastic. And I remember playing this 
when it first came out, my friend Cody and I both got, I remember we went to, <laughs> we went to GameStop together on day one, picked it up and like, I just, I just remember like being so enraptured by the sense of adventure that this game, that this game kind of still evokes, I think better than maybe any Zelda game before this wide open world, this open ocean of possibility. Um, and the game's not perfect or anything like that, but like, I, I think that there are things that Wind Waker does that still stands above even something like Breath of the Wild. Like there, there are th- elements of Wind Waker that I think are better than any other Zelda game. Well, ironically enough, a lot of people kind of wrongly call Breath of the Wild the first open world Zelda game. Yeah, that's true. It's not, it's not, I mean, Wind Waker is, is open world, but it's, it's, you know, it's not quite as like open and seamless, I guess, as Breath of the Wild. But yeah, it's, it is still a wide open ocean for sure. Yeah. There's not a Korok to find or a a shrine to conquer around every corner, but yeah, this was a pretty sizable, massive open world for you to explore once Link left his little island, once he got his little hero clothes and was done picking up pigs and, you know, uh, met a, a young pirate captain named Tetra, you know, like you do, who decides to take you on an adventure. We've all been there. Yeah, that's just the classic hero's journey story. What, what's interesting about the story setup of Wind Waker and, you know, for, for all of the uh, flack that Wind Waker got for it being colorful, cartoony, everybody was telling me I was playing a kid's game and stuff like that. I'll never forget that. Um, mm-hmm. The game's got a dark story um, and the game has got right from the outset a story setup that is, I think, very interesting. The, the game opens with a sort of title crawl. Uh, recounting effectively the events of Ocarina of Time, the the exactly. events, the events of um, you know Link sealing away the darkness and everything. Eventually, Ganon came back, and nobody was there to stop him, and the Hero of Time didn't return, and so the goddess Hylia herself had to step in, and in order to seal away the darkness herself, she flooded the entire world. Yes, Wind Waker <laughs> is a post-apocalypse. You, you know Lake Hylia? Someone left the faucet on. How about World Hylia? And that's basically... Basically. That's basically what this is. And it's, yeah, when when you pick up with, with Wind Waker, and yeah, you're just this young boy who's living on this island with your grandmother or whatever, your sister. And really, it's not even like you're passed down this tunic and everything that's from the hero of time and blah, blah, blah. And and there's all of that, you know, kind of behind it. But really, the game's events are kicked into motion because you're just trying to save your sister. You know, it's it's not even like like a big epic journey from the outset of it. You sort of get thrust into it. Um, but, But I've always really liked that. And like, even just this feeling of leaving home for the first time, I think this game like taps into in a really interesting way. You feel like, um, like it's you against the world. Like you feel like you're facing insurmountable odds. Like the world itself is big and scary and against you. Um, and you have your, your talking boat, (laughs) the King of Red Lions. Um, the King of Red Lions. Link gets into some trouble and winds up getting saved by a talking boat. Again, it happens to all of us. Yeah. Just just another bog standard story trope. Um, 
and there are a lot of things that happen with these characters. You know, there's there's also kind of this recurring theme throughout the course of the game of characters not being who you initially think they are um, and sort of their relationship to the past. And again, that sort of like breaking forth of the shackles of the past is another big thing. Um, there's, there's this whole vibe when you start to uncover... The, and I'm trying to dance around spoilers because I know, you know, a lot of this stuff has been kind of like talked about and spoiled over the course of the past 20 years. But <laughs> I mean, we do hope that this game comes to Switch so that not only can you play it and experience it, but many others mm -hmm. can play it and experience it. Um, so I'm going to dance around spoilers here, but there is a motivation behind both uh, King Daphnis himself, the King of Hyrule, who becomes a major character over the course of the game, and Ganon, the antagonist of the game, who have opposing viewpoints, but they're actually, it's, it's one of those we're not so different, you and I, sorts of things. When you learn that the entirety of the Kingdom of Hyrule is underneath all of this water, Ganon actually just wants to bring it back. Ganon wants the old Hyrule to come back. And yeah, he wants to rule the old Hyrule, and that probably wouldn't be very good for anybody, but he just wants to bring the old world back to where it was as he knew it. And King Daphne says, no, like what happened happened, and we need to learn how to embrace the new world, you know, whether we like it or not. And he carries a lot of regret for that. Um, one of the last words King Daphne says to to link uh, at the end of the game, he says, I've lived regretting the past, but I want you to live for the future. You know, that's a huge theme of the game. And I think that a lot of people don't talk about that enough. I think that like Wind Waker really does have something to say about not feeling beholden to the the sins of your fathers or like the the people who came before, like kind of striking out in your own direction. And it's interesting when you look at like, the way the game was designed and sort of like trying not to be beholden to making the greatest game of all time. <laughs> and, and how do you follow that up? The game's story is kind of like that too, in so many ways. Really cool. Well, when it comes to the game story, I do think personally, there's a, there's one big narrative misstep when it comes to the story. Mm. And that has to do, in my opinion, at least with, still being beholden to the games of the past. If you understand what I'm saying. Explain. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, there's a very famous plot twist in Ocarina of Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know what you're In terms about. of the I identity of someone that I think is unfortunately almost copy and pasted into this game a little and i just i i i think it was a kind of obvious a mile away and b when you're making a point of not retreading old ground to retread the old ground when it come to when it came to one of the most notable aspects of the previous game i thought was a weird choice it's hard to talk about it in without like directly spoiling it, but um, and I know I know I know this is weird because we're talking about a twenty year old game here and it's a it's a retrospective, but like but but again we we do sort of hope that we get a switch port and I don't want to like overtly spoil things, but yes I know what you're referring to and I think the difference is 
is that the twist in Ocarina of Time is like an intentional twist that is um, an intentional thing beset upon by the character themselves. Um, in this one, it's not. In this one, it actually is relevant to the plot structure of the game. And yes, it is a like similar twist, but the way it's presented to the player and to the characters themselves is very, very different. And I think actually weirdly more tragic. Like, I, I think it actually comes across as being sad more than like a cool plot twist. I didn't see it coming at all when I first played it. So anybody who's played the game will know what we're talking about. But um, yes. And anybody who hasn't, hopefully we've really whet your appetite to actually play the game. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, this is a GameCube game. They did um, Wind Waker HD for the Wii U, which was great. But I also think that, like, even side characters, you know, again, there's this whole theme of kind of wanting to not be the person your predecessors were or whatever and and trying to rise above and strike out in your own direction that um that I, I think there's a lot to take away from that. I think of the character of Medley, who's one of my favorite side characters in the game. You know, she is sort of living in the shadow of her mentor and everything. And um, she sort of blames herself for not being as good as the, the grandmother of the prince and stuff like that. But she has all these things to bring herself and she has to kind of find herself over the course of the game. And I, I just, there are a lot of characters that are kind of like that. There's like theming of birds in cages and, you know, and seeds growing into trees. And, you know, there's a lot of like, there's just a lot of like symbolism in this game that I think is really kind of beautiful. And a lot of people write this game off as being childish or whatever, just because it has a colorful art, uh, art style, but it's got so much more to say than its art style lets on, I would say. But I mean, when it comes to being a Zelda game, the art style was a major departure, but the gameplay itself it's definitely a Zelda game. It's definitely a game where using a sword and a shield, you run around, help a bunch of different people. You explore dungeons, you get items that allow you to get access to new areas and new dungeons and you rinse, repeat, you kill a bunch of really interesting, uh, <laughs> fun monster bosses. Uh, a lot of the land based gameplay should be incredibly familiar to fans of the series. And of course, you know, especially fans of 3d, Zelda games like Ocarina and like Majora's Mask before it. However, considering the nautical theme that Wind Waker went with, they did include quite a bit to do when it came to the boat-based gameplay. There's actually nautical like ship combat. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to you spend a lot of time on the on the open sea, you know, in the King of Red Line, you have to worry about things like wind direction and you control the wind with the titular wind waker with this sort of baton that controls the wind itself. Um that's that's kind of the 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 titular item, like like Ocarina of Time was before it. Um and yeah, I, I feel like that's something that a lot of people sort of don't like even at the time a lot of people didn't like the traversal i always thought it was great i i always thought you did. that i wanted i specifically wanted to ask you about that because gameplay yeah. wise like that's that's the big you know identity of this game that's the big gameplay calling card is yes this is zelda it's the zelda you're very familiar with but this time i'm on a boat 
Yeah. Well, full disclosure, I'm also the person, like, I actually just like exploring worlds, even if it takes me a longer time. Like, I'm the kind of person who will uh, literally, in Breath of the Wild or something, rather than fast travel, I'll actually just go on foot to the next location, because I just like like exploring this world and seeing and taking in the sights and stuff. So the, the speed of the boat, which is something they fixed in, uh, in wind waker HD, you can get like the swift yeah. sail at the, uh, the yep. windfall auction or whatever, which will like, I think double the speed, um, which is great. Yeah, that's, that was that's a cool. very highly praised quality of life improvement. Yeah. And, th- and that's great. That, and again, never really bothered me, but I get it. Um, they also vastly uh, reduce the amount of Triforce pieces you need for the like infamous kind of Triforce piece fetch quest kind of towards the, the later uh, portion of the game, um, which is again, never really bothered me because I, I, I just really enjoyed the open exploration, but it, I, I can understand as a more general quality of life improvement, why they did it. And I do still think that Wind Waker HD is pretty definitively um, the definitive version of the game. And it's the version that I hope is what we get on switch if, and when they do it. So <laughs> get Wind Waker HD deluxe. We'll get the links awakening, you know, dungeon uh, editor or something. That would actually be pretty sick, but uh, well, I mean, the- it just, just needs to come to switch. It certainly does. And and you bring up dungeons. I think this is actually um, something that I thought was a hot take, but I guess not because I've seen a lot of people, including in our community, and we'll get to community comments a little bit later, but um, I, I thought that I was kind of in the minority of people who think that this game has some of the weaker dungeons in the franchise. Um, but apparently that's, that's a pretty common, uh, common opinion. Cause I've seen a lot of people kind of say that, uh, this game's dungeons are not bad at all. It's still a Zelda game. Like, so it's still, it's still great, but, um, you know, they are weaker. I do think that, that the, the dungeons in this game, they're, they're a lot more linear. They're not as like open, which is ironic considering how much expo like you're never gonna, you're never going to bump into an issue with the dungeons in this game. Like, there's never a moment where you're ever thinking to yourself, oh, what do I do here? Like, it's very, very straightforward. Kind of kind of linear. A lot of them don't even have branching paths. A lot of them are kind of literally just in a hallway, it feels like. Like, a lot of them are just kind of beset upon one path with not a lot of branching things outside of it. They're fine. They're not, you know, it's definitely the weak link of this game. Probably the one, like, major complaint that I do have with the game. Well... I mean, it does surprise me that a lot of people thought this game was going to fail because you have all these amazing names attached to it. I mean, Shigeru Miyamoto was a very hands-on producer for this game. And I mean, you've got Koji Kondo doing the music. Of course. Music's amazing in this game. I love this game's music. All the different, like, various um, instruments that are used from, like... It gives it such a, like, island vibe, and I don't even mean, like, a Jamaican vibe or anything like that. I mean, like, it has, like, Celtic, Irish kind of vibes. Like, weird instruments that almost give it, like, almost reminds me of, like, a Mitsuda score a little bit, just in the variety of instruments that are used. Uh, like Dragon Roost Island is one of my favorite tracks in Zelda history. 
just a, an amazing track that uses all of these weird, in interesting instruments. And I think that's one that a lot of people go to. Um, it still has your plucky, like, melody. Like, Outset Island is the most... That's the most Koji Kondo track that ever Koji Kondo'd. But, um, <laughs> you you know, they, they do have some very interesting sort of compositions in this game, too, that give it a very unique flavor. Uh, and speaking of unique flavor, uh, I've got to say that I actually have a major problem with this game. And okay. that has to do with the fact that they have Tingle in the game. <laughs> <laughs> we love tingle what are you talking about tingle tuesday tingle no but love tuesday. Uh, the, the the reason i bring up tingle specifically is not just a rag on the objectively terrible character it's to you know this is i always thought this was a really interesting piece of trivia about wind waker uh wind waker was uh you know it made use of it actually made use of the nintendo uh, game like the the GameCube and Game Boy Advance link yeah. cable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the link cable. You could link up your GBA to it. Use uh, an item called the Tingle Tuner. The Tingle uh, Tuner. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is actually kind of cool. I didn't use it a whole lot. Um, personally, like when when I was playing the game, I just didn't have my GBA connected to my to, to my GameCube. But it was kind of cool. Like you could get um, uh, it would basically display like a map on your GBA and everything, uh, which was cool. They, they replaced it with, uh, basically in, in Wind Waker HD, it was the Miiverse functionality, uh, where there oh, would be, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There, there would be tingle bottles, um, that, that you could send out. And that was how you would communicate with people via Miiverse, uh, tingle bottles that you would find. So yeah, that was kind of their, their replacement for that, I guess. But yeah, it's fine. It was cool. They, they were actually doing quite a lot of that. This game also came out around the same time as Four Swords Adventure. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, they're, they're doing you know quite a lot of that. Another thing I think is interesting about Wind Waker is the fact that it actually has like a new game plus mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was the introduction of that. Uh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Second quest. Yeah, well, they yeah they would do like the the second quest thing, the hero mode thing, or whatever. I think yeah. they they sort of renamed it to hero mode. I think with Skyward Sword onward, and now that's a pretty common. That's almost like a bog standard Zelda thing now. But yeah, it was it was sort of introduced with with Wind Waker. I just think that's neat. It is neat. Another reason to to get you to go back and play the game. And I do wonder. Uh, I do wonder if Nintendo was afraid, especially with the, I'm sure they knew what they had on their hands. I'm sure they had full confidence in the game, but I do wonder if there was any trepidation on Nintendo's part, given the immense backlash that the game received because of its visual style. Uh, I've got to wonder what they thought the sales numbers were going to look like. I've got to wonder mm. what they thought the, the, the actual reception to their game was going to be and it does make me wonder whether or not that played into uh the bonus cd that they offered because wind waker has one of the coolest extra pieces of accoutrement in video game history the uh are you talking about the collector's edition thing that came with like the the master quest ocarina of time you know and, like you know it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That that so yeah, and, and that's actually it was it was like a separate like disc. Yeah. It was uh, a separate disc, yeah. 
Yeah, and with it was, its own it was box special. art. There was, uh, yep. Oh, it was so great. It had it had Ocarina of Time. They straight up re-released a version of Ocarina of Time that you could play on the GameCube. But they also had like a revamped, slightly redesigned, slightly more difficult version of OOT that you could play called Master Quest. And uh, again, I do wonder if that was motivated by all the people and all the backlash and all the, hey, this looks nothing like the game we love. Yeah. You know, that vocal minority. Yeah, it's got that. Um, it, it's got the original Zelda. It's got Zelda Two, so, Ocarina of Time, two, and, and yep. Majora's Mask on there, which uh, which is cool. Yeah, what I mean, what a great you know collector's edition thing. Actually, that was Dude. bundled oh, yeah. uh, bundled with the GameCube uh, here in the states, and apparently you could also get it by renewing your subscription to Nintendo Power. So, oh <laughs> so really? There you go. Yeah. Dude, oh my god. I cannot tell you how often people came in to my game exchange looking for that. Yeah. I cannot yeah. tell you how many people were looking for that. I wish I still had that collector's edition like Master Quest uh game Me too. W- Wind Waker CD. One of the coolest editions, one of the coolest pieces of video game collector's edition accoutrement in the history in the history of this industry. Yeah, it was really, it was really great. I I will say too, something that I really like about Wind Waker that I don't see a lot of people talk about too much is I feel like Wind Waker is um, not just cartoonish or whatever because of the obvious cel-shaded art style and colors and blah, blah, blah. That game is really, really cinematic um, in a way that Zelda doesn't always tap into. Like, not only just from the expressiveness of the characters, but like you know, obviously the characters are expressive. It's cartoony, the big old eyes and, you know, anime expressions and things. And, you know, it goes kind of crazy and over the top, but even like in the combat, I've always really loved Wind Waker's combat. It's, it's ultimately fairly straightforward, but the way the camera just like really zooms in and gets like very tight and just angles itself kind of low to the floor. And it makes the enemies just feel big because you're, you know, you're young Toon Link and it's little things like timing dodge rolls and then doing kind of like a spin upward slash with like musical flares when you're blocking and dodging. Like I've always loved that. Is it the like mechanical complexity of something like Skyward Sword or Zelda two? No, but in terms of the way it feels like that's my favorite feeling Zelda combat just because of how cool and cinematic it is. It's awesome. I don't know. As of right now, my favorite Zelda combat is handily Skyward Sword HD. So uh, yeah, I'm very interested to see, uh, to see how that would go. But I mean, here we come full circle. The game comes out after all this backlash and it wound up selling over 3 million copies, mm-hmm. which made it a, re- I mean, it's a Nintendo game, but still it sold over 3 million copies, making it a very high selling GameCube game. But apparently it didn't actually sell that well. It wasn't well received in Japan to the point where Al Numa actually commented that he was afraid it was going to, to tank the franchise because of its reception in his home region. Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And, and worth noting too, that, when we got to the follow-up to this game, Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. uh, it essentially was <laughs> what we saw at Space World back in 2000. Um, for better or for worse, Twilight Princess was 
just let's do Ocarina of Time again, you know? Um, and it was the dark and gritty game yep. that everybody said they wanted. And like Wind Waker, it also got an HD port on the Wii U. But yeah. when you look back at it now, when you look back on the history of Zelda, I don't think that it's a hot take to say that Wind Waker is thought of in a much higher regard. For than sure. Even Twilight Princess is. The, the 180, like we were talking about at the very beginning, the odyssey of public perception that this game underwent, it's now regarded rightfully as yet another classic in the franchise. And, you know, you talk about revisionist history. There is a lot of that going around. Uh, a lot of the, the professional reviewers did praise the game's visual style. But, yeah, within the community, there were a ton. There, there was a ton of derision initially. But when the game came out and over the course of time, time just continues to be better and better to Wind Waker. And I'll tell you a big reason for that is this is something I've said on the show many times at this point, but photorealistic graphics, more, you know, a, a dark, dark and grittier visual styles do not age nearly as well as bright, colorful and stylized games like persona five are going to age so much better than games like final fantasy 15 and 16. Game, like pixel art games on the Super Nintendo, most of them still look good today, while subsequent generations that ventured into 3D, the PlayStation 1 and the N64 look almost laughable by today's standards. They're quaint and they're nostalgic for us, but because of the stylized bright pixel art that wasn't that couldn't even possibly go for photorealism at the time, because they had to be stylized, because there had to be actual art direction involved. So many of those games have stood the test of time visually, and Wind Waker is going to continue to stand the test of time visually because of that exact reason, because it was stylized, because it was, uh, because they didn't go the dark, gritty, they didn't continue to, to try to mature uh, that Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask style into a more photorealistic style adventure. Yeah, I mean, Wind Waker is going to look good forever. <laughs> you know, like like that that style is going to be timeless ultimately. Like when we can, and and you know, there there are art style things that will always sort of shine through from even Twilight Princess. I think Twilight Princess is maybe just a touch more interesting than people who write it off give it credit for. And that's actually the game that I want to replay the most. Like, I bought Twilight Princess HD when it came out on Wii U, but I didn't do a full replay of it. I'm really hoping that we get both of these on Switch because everybody deserves to play these. And um, and me personally, I would actually really like to replay Twilight Princess and revisit it. Loved it when it came out. My opinion of it sort of dwindled over time, but I think it's really fascinating that we ended up getting just responses. Like each Zelda game is really just a response to the last one. Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, to Wind Waker, to Twilight Princess, to Skyward Sword, to Breath of the Wild. They're constantly just responding to the previous game. 
I just find that so fascinating. And wherever Wind Waker fits in that dichotomy, in that timeline, in this legendary franchise, my favorite franchise, uh, for me personally, very, very special. And I just want more people to play it. And look, I can be as salty as I want about all of the uh, the people who even, used to... Even sea salty? Even sea salty about all the people who used to, you know, rag on me back in the day for playing it. But I'm just glad that revisionist history or no, I'm glad that time has kind of come back around to Wind Waker because it does. It's and it's always deserved uh, the high praise it has now for sure. I mean, they wound up making two direct sequels to it. Yeah, that's another thing that people forget. Those DS games, Phantom Hourglass and, and Spirit Tracks. Uh, which are also better than people uh, would lead you to believe. Um, both sequels to Wind Waker. <laughs> I do wish they'd re-release those with uh, with more traditional controls. But uh, yes, I will. That actually, that would be the perfect way. Is just release the Toon Link trilogy on Switch. Release Wind Waker HD Deluxe with Spirit Tracks and Phantom Hourglass. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. That'd be interesting. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting to see. It'd be a lot of work to do that, but that, that would be cool to see. Um, so I definitely wanted to shout out, we, this This was basically, you know, when we did No More Heroes on the show last week, there weren't a whole lot of people that played it, <laughs> but it's the opposite <laughs> case here this week. We have a lot of community it's, comments. It's that, Wind uh, Waker. It's Wind Waker, dude. Only I mean, complete losers haven't played this game. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. Don't don't sell yourself too short, though. I know that like your experience with the GameCube, just the time of your life, you know, at that point, you're basically yeah, like playing was, friends' GameCubes and stuff. So you can't. Yeah, be I blamed. never actually. Yeah, I never properly owned a GameCube, and even on the Wii U, that came out when I was heavily in the military and I was deploying a lot. So honestly, it, like both times this game was out and available, it was like ships passing in the night. I yep. I wanted to play it, but I just it never had because of the two times in my life specifically when that game was available, it just unfortunately never happened. Things in my life are very different now, and I would very much like the opportunity to rectify that because when it comes to Nintendo games that I haven't played yet, like that's that that's like the one that mm -hmm. legitimately having not played it almost almost makes me feel like a little bit of a fraud. <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we do get those switch versions sooner rather than later. So you can just go just, you know, if you'll pardon the pun, go all in and just lose yourself in Wind Waker. But uh, let's shout out some of these community comments here. First one comes to us from Bill Tucker, our friend Bill from the uh, Gamer Looks at 40 podcast, who himself is in the middle of a Zelda series. Uh, that yeah. I've had the pleasure of being a part of many times and a great podcast. Gamer looks at 40, definitely check it out and you'll hear my voice in there. Uh, if you're not already sick of hearing me too much on too many things, but Bill comes in and says still in the midst of my first playthrough. So you're not alone, Eric Bill's playing it for the first time right now. Um, nice. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed it, man. Yeah, he says, but I'm struck at how expressive all of the characters are. Leaving the island with Link's mom and then he, and aunt? I, I think it's supposed to be his grandmother. I'm not sure. I did it, yeah. Yeah. Was genuinely That's heartbreaking. What the Nintendo Wiki says. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, leaving the island with Link's grandmother was genuinely heartbreaking. Probably my first example of a game embracing the characters as characters while being joyful in the process. Yeah. 
I, I, I mentioned that earlier, just that sort of like leaving home. This, this game has a lot to say about like being a, being a young kid having to grow up, you know, like that, that's a huge theme of the game. Um, Delroy, my, my good friend Delroy, uh, chimes in, says an absolute goat level game for me. Beautiful, timeless, absolutely chock full of character. Where's my switch port? <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Presto, Presto the Magnificent chimes in and says, like most Zelda games, I've only played up till the first dungeon. However, the sheer expressiveness, there comes that word again, and charm of these characters in this art style makes this game the 3D Zelda game I'm most excited to play through. So, very cool. Uh, we've got a comment here from our buddy Sam, third strongest mole. Wind Waker is the definition of vindicated by history. Years later, yeah. it still looks and plays better than Twilight Princess, the quote, realistic dark Zelda game everybody supposedly wanted instead. End quote. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great, great point there from Sam. Uh, Adam, our buddy Octorock chimed in with just like uh, a gif of Indiana Jones, uh, where like just the person is like turning old and melting in front of, cause you know, cause it's 20 years old. Um, to which Bozo here commented, if you really want to feel old, we're just a few short years away from the Xbox 360 turning 20. Please stop it. Please stop it. I can't deal with that. Um, I can't deal with this information. Um, Josh Vaughn says, I never got a chance to play that or Twilight Princess, and I really want them on Switch. A lot of people, a lot of people that are wanting this on Switch, Eric, you are not alone. Almost like there's a pattern emerging. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like a lot of people miss this and they want to play it. Uh, Solo something, our buddy Solo says, one legit thought to add is I absolutely love the boat, how they have it as a character that actively looks down as you haul your payload up to eagerly see what you got to. Such character that I want it in more Zelda games. Love the open sea aspect. Any Zelda game with open water to explore at your leisure pulls extra at my heartstrings. Yeah, that's something that's cool too. You can actually fish and like pull up treasure chests and things from the water. And uh, the King of Red Lines gets like a like a crane essentially uh, <laughs> attached to it. It's pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, Matt's Shy Guy City says Wind Waker is one of my favorite case studies because I recognize that a lot of what it does is weaker than what came before and after it, and yet I don't really care. Yeah, I can objectively call its dungeons probably the weakest batch in the whole 3D series, and they at times feel like linear corridors with no incentive to learn their spaces. Totally agree. Uh, sure, if you squint hard enough, you can almost literally see the seams of where unfinished content was ripped out of the game. Also true, this game had a lot of content that was ripped out of it. We should say that. The game did have to scrap a lot of things and leave them on the cutting room yeah. floor. Um, and yeah, screw that odd triangle moving puzzle thing in Hyrule Castle to get the Master Sword. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. There's more to art, critique, and analysis than the mechanical things it does or doesn't do well. I can't think of a single game that's come out in the past 20 years that's given me a greater sense of adventure than Wind Waker did and continues to do. It may be annoyingly intangible and unquantifiable, but it's the main reason why I think it still sits at the top of my series' favorite list. There's more thought and care put into just Link's sad expression when his grandma hands him the family shield for the first time than most games manage to squeeze into their entire playtime. Well said. That guy should write that a magazine That guy likes him some Wind Waker. Yeah, he should write like a little gaming magazine or something like that. If He, he should do nice. that. that says, <laughs> sounds like it would be a great diversion. 
Yeah, a critical diversion even. Um, he says, also just typing this up made me taste Nilla wafers, which was the main thing I was shoveling into my <laughs> mouth while playing this game at 3 a.m. as a teenager. I don't know how I'm still alive. <laughs> um, some of us had Mountain Dew and pizza. Some of us had Nilla wafers. Yeah, some of us had Nilla wafers. Uh, Bozo says, Wind Waker rocked despite the ridiculous backlash against the art style back in the day. The insecurity of anything perceived as kitty was very prevalent in the gaming zeitgeist back then. And Wind Waker is aged like the finest of wines in spite of that. I don't think there's any other game that's done an epic open seas adventure as well as Wind Waker and the music perfectly accentuates that sense of adventure. It's too bad there's at least one entire dungeon cut due to time constraints. There's that again. It's just, that's just true. It's a sad reality. Um, yeah, it, it happens. There was, there's also some really interesting little bugs that speedrunners have just exploited to death. If you watch speedruns yep. of Wind Waker, it is ridiculous. Re- ridiculous it is absolutely ridiculous i mean that's not uncommon for speed runs it's not saying that wind waker is any different than any other game that's right. out there if, if there's a video game out there there are speed runners who have somehow found a little chink in the armor a little rip in the seam to exploit but genuinely watching some of those glitches uh that people exploit in wind waker is just it's it's a marvel to witness yeah yeah, it's really, really cool. Uh, Flight Seat chimes in and says, I remember renting the HD version from the library and playing it in small chunks. It was fun. And then we got one final comment here from Ember Aqua. I think this is their first time chiming in on a retrospective. So hi, Ember Aqua. Thank you for leaving this comment. Uh, they said, the first time I stumbled across a broken pot and spawned in a giant octo, I was terrified. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Some of that stuff can catch you off guard. Overall, a beautiful, amazing game. So a mm-hmm. lot of love for Wind Waker in the community. Some uh, very smart and well-spoken people in the community. But I was actually surprised at like how many people share your sentiment, Eric, of like, please bring this to Switch so I can play it. So Nintendo, Doug Bowser, whoever is listening to this, just make it happen. <laughs> I mean, we've brought just about everything from the Wii U over to the Nintendo Switch at this point. Just, I mean, finish. Just finish what's left. Finish the fight. We need it. Finish the fight, yeah. <laughs> to, to, make, to make that Halo comparison full circle at this point. Uh, but you know what? I think even though Nintendo decided during that very integral part in their history, they very much had the option to follow Xbox and Sony's leads of going for the more mature video game audience at this point. But we've just talked about the game kind of within a vacuum. But looking back on it, I think you really can look at Wind Waker as Nintendo's clear declaration of this is us. This has always been us. This will always be us. You guys have fun with your halos and your Grand Theft Autos. This is our identity. So, guys, thank you for all those amazingly insightful, very well-written comments. Even if we didn't catch your comment on the show, we would still love to hear what all of your favorite memories of Wind Waker are here for its 20th birthday. Again, congratulations on the big two Oh, incredibly looking forward to Tears of the Kingdom next year. I mean, it was the Game Awards winner for most anticipated game for a reason. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, super, super stoked for next year. Just too bad we didn't get a Zelda game on the Switch this year. But again, let us know all of your favorite thoughts, memories, and moments from the Zelda franchise and Wind Waker specifically. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at all in podcasts, join the conversation, join our amazingly talented, insightful, wholesome, man, we have a great Discord community set, don't mm-hmm. we? I, I love them. Join our amazing Discord community. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe to All In Podcast over on YouTube at youtube.com slash Podcast. Oddly enough, we do live news broadcasts from there every Friday night at 5 p.m. Uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and we're always uploading new videos. Seth has done a ton just this past week on on Crisis Core, and what what else have we done just this week? Aka was was this week as well. Yeah, there's there's been a lot going up on the channel. Yeah, constantly stuff going on, so much content, and honestly, we do so much content for our patrons too. Maybe you yes. should become one. Yes, patreon.com slash allinpodcast is the place to be. Three tiers over there of support. If you want to throw some bones our way, we would super, super appreciate exclusive podcasts, shout outs on the show, and much, much more, and more to even come. So we appreciate that. Uh, we, we thank you all so much for your continued love and support on Patreon. But if you don't have any bones to throw our way, we do understand it's the holidays. I get it. But there is a way you can get us a, a Christmas gift uh, completely for free. Actually, you can drop some words on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, or on Audible. Leave us a five-star written review. If you do, I will shout it out on the show. And you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. Very free and easy way to support your favorite indie Nintendo podcast. Yes, free and easy. So obviously, I mean, that sounds like something you should probably do here in just a few seconds. I mean, the podcast is almost Do it now. Do it now. Yeah. Yeah, why not? We would very much appreciate that. But honestly, all joking aside, for anyone who has become a patron already, thank you so much. You guys are certified legends. We hope to add even more to the legendary tablet of all in here in the near future leading up to the holidays. If you have interacted with our content in any way, shape, or form over the past two and a half years, if you have left a review, if you have shared our videos or our tweets, or Facebook, or whatever. However, you have helped bring all in to more people. Thank you so, so much, you guys. Namaste. Namaste, my friend. Another one down. We uh, are obviously staying busy, playing a lot of games, gearing up for the Golden Aces. I I told you before, not going to shut up about it. You're going to keep hearing about it. It's happening Wednesday, January 4th on YouTube.com slash All In Podcast Live, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Be there. You don't want to miss it. And uh, Eric and I have got a lot of work to do as we ramp up towards that. A lot of games to cram in. We're both playing a bunch of stuff. We're playing It Takes Two this weekend. Yes, we are playing It Takes Two this weekend. Make sure to check that out on youtube.com slash all in podcast. So, so much fun this weekend. I've been, dude, we've been waiting for that one for a long time. Oh, we're going to have so much fun this weekend. You guys definitely, definitely hang out. Yes. It's going to be super, super fun. So we, you know, we got some games to play, Eric. I think that's safe to say. We do have some games to play, but here at the end of the show, just let me send a huge, happy Hanukkah to everybody observing Hanukkah starts tomorrow as you're listening to this and my dear co-host is actually observing so happy Hanukkah Seth yeah we uh we're I think my family's doing Hanukkah a little bit later because it doesn't it like conflicts with my dad's schedule but yeah happy Hanukkah to everybody uh who who observes love y'all
Yes, everybody who is observing, happy Hanukkah. And we will see you guys right back here next week, Christmas Eve, at All in a Nintendo Podcast. But until then, I have been the Neo Geo Pocket Eric Selection. And I have been Lil Seth Game. We love you all very much. We'll see you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye!